The next time you're on Interstate 80, stop in and see the folks at the Iowa 80 Truck Stop at Exit 284 in Walcott, Iowa. They're always open and ready to serve you. Enjoy a sit-down meal at the Iowa 80 Kitchen or grab a bite from one of their nine quick-serve restaurants. You'll love their clean restrooms, huge gift store, beautiful convenience store, and, of course, the Super Truck Showroom stocked with plenty of chrome, lights, and more. While you're there, don't forget to visit the Iowa 80 Trucking Museum next door. It's free. The entire team at the Iowa 80 is very excited to celebrate 60 years with you. They look forward to being your home away from home for another 60 years. Sending you a giant thank you from Iowa 80, the world's largest truck stop on I-80, exit 284 in Walcott, Iowa. Iowa 80. It's Red Eye Radio. Gary McNamara and Eric Harley talk about everything from politics to social issues and news of the day. Whether you're up late or you're just starting your day, welcome to the show. This is Red Eye Radio. Hello and welcome. He is Gary McNamara. I'm Eric Harley as we begin a Monday. The Oscars after party continues live on Red Eye Radio coming up. We'll talk with our guests. Yeah, I hear. The after party is the booze is free, right? Is is it? Yes, but the cocaine is not. (laughs) Are they still doing cocaine in Hollywood? I I have no idea. I have no idea. I wasn't blaming anybody of doing anything. I was just asking a question. (laughs) It was just a joke, and it's probably not free. I am told that uh, within the first, it uh, my. uh, my old producer, Leafy, mm-hmm. wrote me. He said he predicted that there would be a, you know, because of uh, Top Gun Maverick. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, he said I was, uh, you know, uh, 50 seconds uh, I figured would be the first Scientology joke. And he said it was within the first minute. Mm. He goes, I was right. Because <laughs> uh. of Tom Cruise. Now, I, I didn't hear I have never heard of any of the movies that won. Not one except Top Gun, Maverick, one for sound. And as I just told you a couple of minutes ago, that is well-deserved. And the reason is... They had sound? It wasn't, my, wasn't a silent movie? movie? Uh, it not, was not a silent movie. Oh. But uh, as I told you, in my home theater system, I just got a new app. Yeah. Which lets me on the app control... The sound coming out of the back speakers individually and completely, just totally precise. So I got it like Thursday and it's decided to check it out on Friday. Right. So I had bought, just because so many people wanted to watch it, I bought Top Gun Maverick back, was it last, when did it come out last summer, fall, whenever it came out? Yeah, I and, don't remember. And so, I could have my, and so, so my dad could watch it too because my dad's a former pilot. Mm-hmm. So I decided, well, if I'm going to check it on a movie, that's the one to check it on, right? Sure. Right. So it's just a scene where they're, you know, they're they're at like the Air Force base, but he's just talking, and you know, there's jets flying over, flying overhead. Is it Air Force or Navy? Navy. I'm sorry, Navy. Yeah, but okay. I say Air Force, Navy. Yeah. Thank you very much, Hanson mm-hmm. Topkin. Uh, <laughs> and so, as Cruz is talking, I hear a jet. <laughs> <laughs> 
Mm. And it starts right like in front of my nose, right. goes all the way around my head mm-hmm. and comes right back again and then, you know, takes off. Does a complete 360. And it was, again, ambient sound. It wasn't, it was back, excuse me, it was background sound. Mm. And it was just awesome. And I went, hmm, they should win for sound on that one because that was pretty awesome. Yeah. So, especially if they had speakers. <laughs> <laughs> a note from the directors this movie will require speakers yeah so uh, let's talk about the oscars i don't know any of the movies okay move on what else is going on yeah I, uh any banks crash uh I'll, I'll say this congratulations to the winners and to the losers it was an it was an honor just to be nominated yeah. or slapped was anybody slapped Nobody was slapped. Not, I have, you know, I, nah. I didn't. I woke up and I, yeah. I, I woke up to, uh, you know, Janet Yellen saying no bailout. Yeah, right. And I, and it's like no bailout. Yet we're going to protect all the depositors past two hundred and fifty thousand. And immediately, I mean, I've just been reading everything I possibly can because there is a small possibility that might be the case after they liquidate all the assets. Because it's predicted that the assets that the bank had yeah. might yeah. be ninety five percent of the might be ninety five percent of make the, up ninety five percent of the deposits. Of the deposits, yes. right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Because they they weren't out of the ba- the bank wasn't out of capital. They were out of cash. They yes. had assets. Right. Have assets. And, and so, but still, and and. She didn't necessarily mention that. That I forgot. I, I forgot where I, I've been reading so many publications here, but somebody brought that mm-hmm. up mm-hmm. that that might be the case. But yeah. they may not be able to get that type of money, whatever the asset, the assets are, or the accounts are. They may not be able to get that. But still, if that's the case, if that's the most optimistic case, the taxpayer will still get dinged. Mm-hmm. And she simply said, "Well, no, we're just going to take it out of the federal deposit insurance." Uh, a company and will charge all banks more and that fee will pay for this which means we'll pay more which means we'll pay more right bank mm-hmm. fees will go up so yeah. you are yeah. but the fact is that it may be directly for taxpayers because they're saying that's not what the law says right the regarding law. the uh right. re- regarding the fdic right exactly yeah. right. so yeah. banks the banks to charge them higher fees they may sue immediately saying we had nothing to do Wait, we, that's not we, on us that that's that's not on us that's right. on you right and then there's the, in, well, very quickly. I mean, if if because it gets pretty complicated when you talk about this. And the first thing you said was saw on uh, Friday. The first thing I saw was Trump's fault. It's like, well, of course, yeah. And no, this has nothing to do. With, no, no, this, this is m- nothing to do with uh, with uh, Trump. But I guess it's it's basically easy that there were so many deposits. And add in any time you want because, mm-hmm. again, I'm still – when these things happen, it's like what you hear the first couple of days, it, there may be a twist on it later on down the road. Mm-hmm. But there were so many there were so many deposits to this bank that they could not lend out safely enough money, and so they were loaded with cash. They took that cash and they put it into uh, long-duration – uh, fixed income assets in order to make more of a profit, they don't want to put it in the federal government because rates were so low. Mm-hmm. And 
so uh, as the the interest rate went up, these assets became less valuable and less valuable. And they would have tremendous losses if they were for, forced to liquidate these assets before, you know, maturity. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly what uh, what uh, what happened. Well, and there was and a- they they started once they started going after the 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 money, mm-hmm. or once that that started. Well, then they didn't have you know they were taking huge losses as they were trying to sell things, and then boom. Well, and the depositors actually were drawing down their balances because in, uh, over the last year, year and a half, you had uh, a number of tech companies that were not getting uh, capital investors. The way they had, they right. weren't getting those kinds of of loans for their business operations and projects. And as they had to use their own money, they were drawing down uh, those deposits that they had in Silicon Valley Bank. And as they draw those down, that starts to look worse, of course, on the balance sheet. Uh, draws down on, of course, the lending power of any bank when that happens. And then when that got out, then you had a number of uh, companies and individuals who basically kind of started the run on the the real run right. on the bank. Mm-hmm. And that's what it ended up being over the last week or so. Uh, the, the scenes at there, you know, at, at Silicon Valley Bank out, outside the, you know, the one main location is kind of reminiscent of it's a wonderful life. I mean, there were people at the door asking where their money is. And and many of those people are uh the the creators of startups. They are they they have, you know, these companies that they run. But this was the this was the big tech I won't say, you know, big tech bank, but it was the tech bank. 16th largest bank and second biggest bank failure yeah it's uh you know it, it, and if you go back to the wamu failure um you know when that collapsed um you know wow that was uh 2008 uh september 2008 and you know that was about way too much bad mortgage paper on their balance sheets and you know, again, it was just a, it was, it was one of those implosions. Uh, WAMU had transitioned from a savings and loan, Washington Mutual, I'm sorry, for those that may not know them as that. And then eventually, as they collapsed, then Chase took over their assets. And there could be a takeover here. I don't know who's buying, <laughs> I guess is the, uh, yeah. is the point. Washington Mutual was a different type of setting. The question would be, how much does this say about uh, the degradation, uh, the slowing down, the uh, downward trend of big tech? Is it as much, does it, you know, I, a friend of mine actually had a conversation. He's in finance and, and, and we had a conversation over the weekend and he kind of phrased it that way, basically implying this is as much of a message about or indicator about big tech as it is the problem with some of the banks that, that are out there. And could it be I, – I, I noticed the mainstream media jumped on it and really wanted to go down the road of um, 
Uh, this is not indicative of the entire banking system. Well, I didn't see anybody claiming that it was. So they kind of brought a straw man argument to the articles. But I saw it in a few different places. I thought that was kind of weird. I guess maybe they were trying to just uh, temper the fears of, of any readers or listeners. And you look at that and, you know, you ask the question. Because this is not like the mortgage meltdown. No, it's different. But the tech meltdown is real. But I just don't think it's going to play out. It's not you know, this is not the, you know, uh, uh, Silicon Valley Bank was unique in that way. Well, no bank was unique if it carried mortgage paper, you know, back in right. 2008. Let me ask you this. Is it more reminiscent of the uh, dot-com bubble? But, you know, but, I thought but, about that. Yeah. But particular yeah. to one one bank or a few banks? I, I, I Yes. No, I, I would say that it, it uh, and, and I don't. Know to what extent the other banks, you know, may have uh, any liabilities here or, you know, may be on the brink. Uh, but, no, I think it is. The difference in this, this is a, I, I think this is a a, a, a second dot-com bubble bursting. Um, I don't know if it is what it was at the end of the 90s, though. The 90s, they had built right. up a lot of things based on <clears throat> what could happen in the future, right? This mm -hmm. is what these things are going to be, you know? Uh, people weren't tech savvy. We didn't have social media. We didn't have so much information available, even though we had the Internet. No one really knew what – I'm talking about the common person. No one really knew what to do with it or how it was going to play a role. Um, I don't think businesses had fully realized or capitalized on the potential of the Internet at that time. Um, when I came to this job in 96, we only had the Internet in one room in the entire building. And so when you look at that, that was more of, okay, we kind of built it up bigger than than where we are at the moment. So they hit the brakes on it. Uh, that's just kind of my assessment on it. Um, then you look at where we are right now. It's kind of the same thing with a number of uh, items along the way. There are tech companies out there that uh, were testing things that they thought were going to really take off, and they didn't really take off. Uh, innovations they thought they were going to implement into their business model that didn't uh, pan out. And some of that has to do with, in fact, I, I'd say a lot of it has to do with, to some extent, COVID and the ability to launch things in a normal setting. Um, but I would also say that COVID presented a ton of opportunities for tech companies because people became, uh, the end user became more tech savvy and then became changed their habits as such to use that technology to assist in their daily lives. So, you know, I I think it's kind of a wash in that regard. I do, I just don't know that I see this mm -hmm. as a as a tech bubble like the end of the the no, end of the nineties. But, but I would I would say, like I said, an extremely focused one, but not the same reason. Not the same reason as a dot com bubble, which yeah, was yeah. a ton of capital going in. To those companies, yeah, ahead, but, yeah, ahead uh, of the uh, return, ahead of ahead of a return, yeah. which never came to fruition. Yeah, and and I would say the biggest headwinds right now that that could be much bigger than than what they faced in the dot com bubble before 
are the regulatory concerns uh, for big tech. I think there's a ton of stuff right now, not just in the States, but they've already started in Europe. And I think there's going to be a lot of that. They This, this calling for break up the big tech companies or whatever, just regulation, massive regulation is on the way. And both sides of the aisle uh, here in the States and in Europe are on board for it more and more. So it's going to happen. It's just a matter of when. I think uh, later on today you're going to hear the screaming that this is a bailout. Well, no, I, think, I mean, I think if, it's, if it right. ends up being at the at the foot of the taxpayer, there's no way, right. other way to, you know, to put it. Yeah, we'll talk more about this coming up. Eight six six ninety red eye. It's not always easy to spring back from the harsh days of winter to warmer months ahead. From de-icing chemicals to hidden debris underneath snow and ice, winter conditions can do serious damage to your truck. Here's a must-do maintenance check to help you minimize downtime and stay rolling. Have your batteries tested and inspect your electrical system for any exposed connections, wires, or butt connectors. Get any exposed components repaired immediately, as the acidic nature of highway de-icers will erode any exposed connections or wires in no time at all. This report is brought to you by Shell Rotella. Shell Rotella, with advanced synthetic technology, is designed to help keep your rig running with more mileage and less maintenance. Get in touch with Red Eye Radio, toll free at 866-90-RED-EYE. It's Friday Radio. He's Eric Carlin. I'm Gary McNamara. Eight six six ninety. Right. I will continue talking more about the uh, the uh, the bank failure. Now, two bank failures. Because mm. The other the other bank uh, was it Signature Bank. Mm. Yeah. Uh, also, uh, yeah. so we'll we'll get to the specifics on that. And, and in fact, whether it's a bailout or not. And interestingly enough, the two hundred fifty thousand really their limit on the FDIC is to protect the the uh, the small person well that's it, it because not, the, right. many of the depositors in silicon valley bank had well over two hundred fifty thousand dollars in deposits oh, yeah. tens and of millions so hundreds of millions when you right. look at the average depositor of a what i would call a consumer bank i mean uh, uh technically svb was a consumer bank but it it's um it, it if you talk about bank of america or or chase or maybe your local bank uh, the majority of deposits are not deposits over $250,000. And so that's that's it. When they started drawing their money, their deposits out, the bank had to start selling its own assets mm-hmm. in order to cover those deposits or the, the withdrawals. At a massive loss. And and they had to do so at a, at a pretty big loss. And then, of course, when they were downgraded by... You know, people that were investors, it was like, you know, saying, oh, you can't keep doing this. This isn't, this isn't going to fly. Then all of a sudden, that's when it really, really hit. And that's when the real run on and, Silicon Valley And happened. the fact is, like, uh, other uh, other banks, um, regular banks, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, the deposits are much more diversified, too. Yeah, right. Yep. And so that was one yeah. of the problems. So we'll we'll get to more on that uh, uh coming up plus uh, also uh putting uh your uh non-binary pronouns on your resume does not help. Yeah. New study out 
Uh, the uh, White House noncommittal right now on that bill that would declassify COVID, the, COVID, the origins of uh, COVID-19, mm-hmm. uh, the intelligence we have, it would declassify it. Mm-hmm. I don't know the last time that you had every single member of the Senate and every single member of the House, Democrat and Republican, Independent, Socialist, all vote to declassify. Right. And the White House won't say right. after the House voted whether the president will do that or not. Right. Plus, is, he, uh, is the president going against his promise to liberals on oil drilling. Oh, you saw that story, yeah. right? We'll get to that and more coming up. And now for a segment called Just Something I've Noticed, brought to you by our friends at Motel 6. Just Something I've Noticed. There's a lot more yawning these days. Have you noticed that? Yeah. And the bad thing about yawning, it's contagious. Now, I'm not a scientist, but I do know that's true. You see somebody else yawn, all of a sudden, you got to yawn. Do you know what helps to curtail the yawning? How about a great night's rest at Motel 6? Book online at motel6.com. Use the code CPREDEYE to get 15% off your stay at Motel 6 or Studio 6. With almost 1,500 locations across the country, there's almost always a Motel 6 or Studio 6 nearby. And truck parking is available at most locations. Enjoy a clean, comfortable room at a price you will love when you use the code CPREDEYE. That's the letters CPREDEYE, all one word, for 15% off your stay at Motel 6 and help curtail the yawning. That's just something I've noticed. Brought to you by Motel 6. What's up, everyone? It's Reality Steve, your number one source for all things Bachelor Nation and reality TV. Every day, I'm giving you the -the behind-the-scenes juice and your info on all your Bachelor Nation stories and also interviewing some of your favorite reality stars. My name has been synonymous with spoilers, but I'm so much more than that. Give me a listen. The Reality Steve Podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen. Gary McNamara and Eric Harley taking your calls. 1-866-90-RED-EYE. And he is Eric Harley and I'm Gary McNamara, 866-90-RED-EYE. Some things to to think about in these uh, these bank uh, uh, failures. Well, one was reading the Wall Street Journal that said uh, the majority of time in these cases. Let me just, let me just get it here. Um, the Fed say they were guaranteed... They will guarantee even the uninsured deposits at SVB as well as Signature Bank in New York. Typically, uh, in a uh, bank, those depositors would get their money back, even the ones over two hundred fifty thousand, uh, with the fifteen to twenty percent haircut. This would no doubt be a hardship for many customers. But the two hundred fifty thousand dollar limit is known. We know yeah. what that is. No, you know that going right. in. Will the universal uninsured deposit guarantee be next? Uh-huh, this is what uh-huh. I'm thinking. Does this set up? Does this set up another bubble? When you set a precedent that extremely rich venture capitalists taking an extreme risk uh-huh. have their investments and their deposits 
guaranteed by the federal government. Right. Does that become the new standard? Well, well, I, then what the hell's going to happen if that becomes a new standard? Well, yeah, right after we uh, pay off their college loans, we, we mm-hmm. bail them out when their bank mm-hmm. goes down, right? Yep. This would be a monumental policy surrender. I'm reading from the Wall Street Journal, mm-hmm. essentially admitting that the regulatory machinery established in 2010 by Dodd-Frank failed. We may be the only people in the world who still worry about moral hazard, but a nationwide guarantee for uninsured deposits, even for a limited time, means this will become the default policy anytime there is financial panic. There's also the question of legality, which we brought up, of such a guarantee. The FDIC created a transaction account guarantee program amid the 2008 pandemic, but Congress let it expire in Dodd-Frank. Congress set the $250,000 insured limit to protect average Americans not venture investors in Silicon Valley. The FDIC may have resorted to its systemic risk exception for SVB and Signature, but this is a stretch considering their size. The joint statement by regulators said it received the required two-thirds vote of both the FDIC and the Fed boards. We'd like to see the creative legal work by the Office of Legal Counsel at the Justice Department. The Fed is acting as it should be the provider of liquidity for all comers, but it's going further and offering one-year loans to banks against collateral of treasuries and other fixed income assets. The Fed will value these assets at par, which means banks don't have to sell their assets at a loss. The Fed is essentially guaranteeing bank assets that are taking a loss because banks uh, took duration risk that Fed policies encouraged. This, too, is a bailout. By the way, uh, you mentioned Dodd-Frank. Barney Frank of Dodd-Frank is on the board for Signature Bank. <laughs> and said he's, he's, one in, he's one that they interviewed. He said they had a run of billions of dollars alone on Friday. Just Friday alone, mm-hmm. Signature had a run. They had way too much invested in crypt- crypto. They, it was way too much. Oh yeah, yeah, and I saw was, that. Yeah, and, and so you that, know, when the you, signature bank, you're yeah, signature right, bank. Yeah, mm-hmm. right. And so when the, it's the, the problem with all that is, think about this. Let's pay off their college loans, right? And then when they're you know when the when their tech companies that they start uh, start going downhill, and then subsequently the the banks that are created to you know facilitate the money can't can't survive because it's also go, all going downhill we should just bail them all out listen the, listen the what we need is is a is a song like you know we are the world you know where all the celebrities get together and help raise money for these rich individuals who are going to lose money look this is a risk anytime you invest in anything and when you deposit money and you know only 250000 is guaranteed through FDIC. Then you're going to have to diversify. And you're going to have to choose where you're going to put those deposits. You're going to have to choose carefully. That's the way it's always been. If we're going to bail them out simply because... And this, is, this goes back to 2008. Remember, not all the banks were on the brink of being insolvent back then. It was only a few of them. But they decided... Well, there would be a run on those banks and then all would fail. So they put money in the tills of all the banks, which made 
everybody wonder what the hell's going on. It muddied the waters for everybody. We couldn't see who was solvent, who wasn't, who to do business with, who to trust. And we stayed there trolling along the bottom in our economy for years. And if you're going to treat this like, oh, well, no, they should get their, they should get their money. We'll make sure they get their money. Not my money. Then why not everybody that lost money on Bitcoin? Line them up. Go ahead and give them back what they lost on Bitcoin. No. Yeah. And, and what, what you set up, I mean, this is the, it, if doing this, you set up because this, this is the whole point. Well, the whole system will crumble if SVB and Signature go under. And it's like, no, they won't. Mm-hmm. There may be a run on some banks, but it will come back because most banks, the the situation with most banks right now is that they're very well capitalized in the United States. There is no chance, many believe, those opposed to it uh, in the economic sector, look at this and say, yeah, there's going to be some hardship. There'll be some hardship in the tech sector. Yeah, there'll be there'll be more people now worried about uh you know uh, uh you know new tech st- uh, startups mm-hmm. and venture capitalists will have to be more careful about how they invest their duh. No, no, I mean they were. I mean because that's that's really if you look at the at the the SVB side, the venture capitalism was was drawing down. It was like they were hitting the brakes. Because there were a lot of headwinds for big tech, so those those companies, those people with deposits in in Silicon Valley Bank, they had to go and they were using their money, which wouldn't have been a you know typically that's not that big of a deal. It's that's not really a run on the bank when it happens over a year, year and a half. It's just a drawdown of deposits, but when the bank itself has its assets in things that are upside down. They've got to sell that for a loss in order to facilitate those drawdowns and those mm-hmm. deposits. Then now there is where, and, and you know, a lot of people have looked at it, and this this is where it's, I think, very similar to um, the, the uh, tech bubble of the late 90s. You know, a lot of people will tell you, well, the whole crypto thing isn't real. A lot of this stuff in tech is built on this euphoria. And you can say that about someone like uh, Freed, Sam, Sam, Bank, Sam Bankman Freed, SBF. Here's a guy who had convinced everybody it was cool. He wears board shorts in the boardroom. He does. He plays by his own rules. Sure did. He he plays video games while he's on a call. I'm impressed. He doesn't have to comb his hair. He's cool. He's the future. Hey, could you switch my 401k over? Exactly. It's a fraud. Oh, no, but he's got celebrities on board. Okay. Yeah, well, celebrities always do the right thing. (laughs) So... Count me in. Here's all my money. Oh, I heard them last night. I mean, they seem to be very moral oh, yeah. and concerned with oh, yeah, yeah, everybody's yeah. welfare. Right. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, they they make all the right choices, and that's the way that a lot of tech and crypto. Uh, that uh, I would I would encompass crypto and the entire ball of crypto in that. 
But that's the way tech, too, has been treated over the years. You know, there's great innovation that brings out uh, brings about a, a, an expansion of wealth. Technology has done, I don't know how much for our economy, not just here uh, domestically, but globally. The advent of the smartphone was massive. It changed the world. It changed we how we do business. It changed how we communicate. It changed. It made things. Uh, I think it made our society safer. Uh, we have the greater ability to communicate. It may be annoying. Social media may be annoying, but there are so many great things that happen as a result of this technology. That's one thing. But then all of a sudden, there's all these little seedlings that pop up. Not every startup is going to take off. Not every tech company, not every monster tech company has something that they're going to follow through with. Amazon just hit the brakes on a number of projects. You know, they they quite often will go down a road, they'll invest some money, and then they hit the brakes and go, well, that's not going to pan out because uh, inevitably it's now at this point we know it's not going to go the way we thought it was going to go. And, but the problem is, is that the Silicon Valley thing, the, the tech thing, they were treated like SBF. You know, in the media, oh, these are these are the tech people that I'm all for them making a ton of money. But if they take that risk and they lose that money, even in something like this, I don't I don't wish this on anybody. But I also don't take the responsibility for anybody else. And taxpayer money cannot be part of the equation here. Well, if if you do this in this particular situation. Then don't you do it for every situation? Well, exactly. Every, That's why I said every every, every every bank meltdown yeah. is going to have repercussions that will be felt for a while. But isn't this the government setting the the base now for irresponsible actions on banks? Maybe not related to this thing, but oh no, mm-hmm. we can take the chance because look, they're not going to let people they're not going to let people suffer. Right. This isn't going to happen, and, and right. you set right. up this right. you set up this mindset, <laughs> the pathology of dependency. No, that's exactly it. <laughs> Don't worry, we can do anything we want with the money. Yeah, uh, because the government isn't going to dare let a bank fail. Interesting point too. They're talking about uh, the uh, the uh, the head of the the uh, oh one of the banking commissions that. Um, uh, that uh, uh, Biden put in yeah. on the federal level right. said there probably won't be a sale because of her. That they they the regulation of selling a bank like this, where they can come in and make the situation much better. And I got to get into that because I don't know the specifics of it. I just saw that allegation yesterday. I forgot who made it. Uh, I've been reading so much, uh, but it was really interesting. Saying, well, the appointing from Trump uh, is just so tough on letting another bank come in and buy a bank that's. Trump you know, or Biden? You said Biden earlier. Biden. 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 Yeah, okay. Biden. I'm sorry. Did I say Trump? Mm-hmm. I meant Biden. Uh, that, uh, you know, that this, there probably won't be a sale. And it doesn't look like now that they're guaranteeing everything tomorrow. I don't know. Maybe that's the start. Maybe that is that the, no, because you wouldn't want that. If you're trying to sell it, you're not going to bail them out because it's likely to be easier for another bank to pick them up at a bar, more of a bargain rate. Yeah. I mean, that's yeah. Washington, so you was, yeah, Washington right. Mutual went to Chase. Right. You know, and and so you could look at it and say, okay, look, their assets go to this, and and put them on the auction block, 
And for those that, you know, that are right now wondering if they're going to get everything, you know, I mean, hope for the best. And if, if those assets are there, look, if you, if, if it's true that their assets will cover 95% of the deposits, outstanding deposits, then consider yourself lucky. Mm-hmm. And, and, and also, uh, consider this a lesson learned. Well, if it does cover 95%, well, then why do the bailout? It's imagery. That's exactly. It's imagery. Right. We, we, need and I don't know who you're appealing to, you know, with right. that, with, with that kind of bailout, you know, who politically, who you're trying to appeal to. 86690 Red Eye. We'll be right back with more Red Eye Radio with Eric Harley and Gary McNamara. It's Red Eye Radio. He's Eric Carley, and I'm Gary McNamara. Eight six six ninety Red Eye. I mean, it's going to start later on today. I mean the 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 populist opinion. It's a very very popular opinion. You're going to bail out. You know, remember remember back in two thousand eight two thousand nine, we would get calls. Look, I'm yeah. a conservative Republican, but yeah. if the banks get bailed out, they need to bail me out. Right? No, they need to bail no one out. Right? <laughs> uh, but but in in this particular case. Where these aren't even just you know so-called the generic banks, but these are these are basically the deposits of venture capitalists. Yeah, you know that mm-hmm. they have hundreds of millions of dollars that they put in. The FDIC was never, you know, it was never enacted to do that. It was no. for the little guy to protect the smaller yeah. deposits. Right. And the law doesn't even state that they can do this. Congress doesn't state that they can do this. And Yellen does it. There's going to be pushback to this. And it's going to be the perfect populist. You want a perfect populist argument? Yeah, you know, she wants- we're, we're, we're suffering. We're not getting bailout in these rich venture capitalists. Yeah, she wants to track every deposit of yours over $600. Oh, yes. Yeah, yes. she also wants to bail out. Massive companies yeah. and millionaires and multimillionaires and multi-million dollar companies. <laughs> Top of the hour news is brought to you by House Products. Visit houseproducts.com. This is Red Eye Radio on Westwood One. Now it's Red Eye Radio. Gary McNamara and Eric Harley talk about everything from politics to social issues and news of the day. Whether you're up late or you're just starting your day, welcome to the show. This is Red Eye Radio. All across the USA and around the planet, 86690-RED-EYE. He is Eric Harley and I'm Gary McNamara. Download our Red Eye Radio app today and listen when where you want if you can't listen live overnight. You say you got some correspondence that uh, said this is not a bailout. Well, I it's I don't know what it, it's. Someone uh, sent me uh, a tag me in a tweet by Bill Ackman. Uh, Bill Ackman um, is uh, uh, with uh, the CEO of Pershing Square Financial Company, and he posted something earlier a few hours ago. 
And I don't know what if, because it's hard to know if he's responding to something. I don't see a, there's a thread of responses to this tweet. Uh, but I don't know if he was posting a series of tweets because I just haven't had time to, to read it. I'm just reading okay. a lot of this for the first time. Well, but what? But he breaks down in, in the second paragraph, he basically breaks down what you and I uh, lined out last hour. And he's, he's lining out here uh, that here, in this case, of what happened this weekend, the shareholders and bondholders have been wiped out. The FDIC insurance fund capitalized by premiums paid by banks will absorb any losses and the fund will recoup any losses by assessing more premiums on the banks. Higher premiums on the banks are going to be passed on to the consumer and we covered that last hour. So yeah, yeah, that part of it, it right. is is uh, if that's how that goes down, that it, because either way it's going to be paid for by people, whether it's taxpayer dollars or not, but if they get into it, the, the question is, and I, I guess there's a million questions, but the, the first question here is, well, you talk about the the the, uh, the investors. What about the depositors and, and to what extent? And why would there not be a sale of the assets in this case? Uh, because if you, you talk about, well, okay, then the premiums are going to take a hit. And then basically all the banks take a hit because they've got to pass that um, premium in- increase on to uh, their consumers, their customers, will tell me why that should happen. Well, um, I, you know, I, I just, I, I guess, I, I look at it that that uh, any type of government regulation that makes the cost of a service higher is passed on to the consumer. That's what we stated. That's what they're stating there. And so if the insurance goes up for FDIC, mm-hmm. it's passed on to the consumer. Mm-hmm. And yeah. and so I, I we're still I mean, it's not uh, a, it's not a, you know, if you want to get into the minutia of a direct bail, bailout versus an indirect bailout. But we also said and it was Phil Klein, National Review, who said uh, they believe that 95 percent of the deposits can be paid off after the assets are sold. But that could be a while. Yeah. So you don't get your money then. Uh, But the other thing is the banks will probably sue the federal government because Congress didn't approve this. Yeah. Congress sets the $250,000. So the banks... If they're going to be charged higher fees to bail out this bank, we'll probably go to court if it's reversed and all these deposits are already paid out and the assets don't cover the deposits. It will be a direct uh, bailout by the taxpayers. Well, and and that's where, you know, there's later in this um, another paragraph from this tweet from Bill Ackman. Uh, he writes, our government did the right thing. This was not a bailout in any form. The people who screwed up will bear the consequences. That isn't true. No, that's not true. Uh, the investors who didn't adequately oversee their banks will be zeroed out, and the bondholders will suffer a similar fate. Look, there's no doubt there's going to be a massive le- lesson here, and he points out, too, that there could be 
you know, other bank failures. Uh, more banks will likely fail despite the intervention, but we now have a clear roadmap for how the government will manage them. Well, do we? I don't know that we do. No, I ne- neither do I. And and to say it's not a bailout, we never said it was a stockholder bailout. We knew the mm-hmm. stockholders are going to get wiped out. And, mm-hmm. and again, I don't know. This thing just happened. I can't tell yeah, you precisely. Right. You know what? Exa- what what happened? You can look at those that cover this every day. But when Yellen herself says, and that's what we're going on that this will be covered by the FDIC and those that those deposits over 250,000 and I saw one of the top deposits was like 400 million mhm uh yeah that that the FDIC will be charged for it and if it causes a problem all bank rates will be raised well that's going to be passed on to the consumer yeah. that is a indirect bailout there's no right. way you can now again if it's he's trying to change the definition of the word bailout but it's a depositor bailout that does not exist in the law that will raise prices and just like a corporate tax will affect the consumer because it will be passed on one right. way or another right and 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 you know that's what it comes down to uh, it's i don't know i i expect uh the ceo of a financial company to you know, to stand up and say, well, this isn't a bailout. I don't know that just, first of all, it's very early. Just like you mentioned, I think that's the key here. We don't know if this is a taxpayer bailout, a taxpayer bailout just yet. We don't know. Which is why we, which is why we started the show asking in a question form. And because it could come in a couple of different ways. I mean, passing, uh, you know, the, if the, if the fees, uh, if the premiums on on the FDIC insurance go up, then you know that's not necessarily. Uh, I don't know. I guess we could get into the minutia of what what defines a, a a taxpayer bailout. But if you're talking about then manipulating the law and applying something where it doesn't belong, where those benefits don't belong, then that definitely is a taxpayer bailout. And then, you know, to what extent are we going to do this? Look, there were there were huge risks here by a number of individuals along the way. And all of those actors in those settings had information in front of them. Or were they looking through their SBF glasses? Oh, he's so cool. Oh, this is so cool. Ooh, our actual name is Silicon Valley Bank. I mean, my point is is that you can see the real stuff, and then you can look at stuff and say, oh, oh man, that's trendy. Everybody's in on it. Well, does that mean it's real? When Signature had so much... Uh, involvement in crypto how in the world i mean it's i i just look at these things and i'm talking as a layman i'm talking as somebody who is not an investment banker i'm i'm you know not a financial expert because all those people are trillionaires (laughs) because they know everything (laughs) and they're right on every prediction (laughs) All I'm saying is, 
I look at something, and if it if it doesn't seem real, you're talking about the think think about the scale we're talking about. Now, I don't know the majority of people. Probably it's safe to say the majority of people before last week had never heard of Silicon Valley Bank. Silicon Valley, yes. Um, they make a really good ranch dressing, by the way. It's very, very tasty. But <laughs> you just, by the way, you just made me think of something. But go ahead, go but, ahead. But but but, but, but you... the thing is, is that these are these are these are not stupid individuals in this entire scenario. But how much risk were they willing to take? How much thin ice were they willing to skate on? And with Signature, their involvement in crypto. I'm just asking these questions. And so when they take that hit, and Ackman does point that out, that a lot of players here are going to, you know, they're going to be, they're going to be taking their own hits. Mm -hmm. And that's great. Let's not manipulate the law to cover them. Let's not do, and I can hear the, by the way, I can also hear the response on the, well, of course the, uh, fees, you know, are going to go up in your bank. It's like uh, when there's a storm and then all of a sudden everybody's paying higher homeowners insurance. Yeah, but we can mitigate that. There are things that I can do and that that can mitigate that to a large extent. I'm not skating on the thin ice. I'm not playing the same risk that they're playing. And so you mean it's an someone's trying to make the comparison of a natural disaster to no a, i'm saying a, i can a, i can already hear that oh, okay yeah i can already hear that, that saying that, that well, it was it was an act of god yeah right right well but no i mean you could say all right look i don't have a house on the beach where hurricanes hit right i don't yeah right, that's exactly, i don't right, live right. there or i don't live in the heart of tornado alley actually we do live in tornado alley i'm just saying that you could say all right these are the things i want to mitigate all right uh, I live in Arizona, so I invest a lot in air conditioning. You know, there are things that there are things that I choices I can make as an individual where I'm not a player and shouldn't have to, you know, foot part of that bill. I I know how things work when fees go up, but is that a is that a result of manipulation of the law to benefit others who knowingly took great risk? Now, you talked about all economists being rich. Yeah. I just wondered later on today on CNBC whether Jim Cramer will cry again. You heard last month he urged his viewers to buy Silicon Valley Bank stock. <laughs> According to the New York Post. Here. I, and he, I don't know how he still has a job. I really don't. I don't. I don't get it at all. <laughs> Is he on the View? Is he also on the View? <laughs> He's <laughs> the, the View's new financial segment, starring Jim Cramer. And there, he'll cry every time. Right. There are always lawyers and reputable economists yes. there to fact check him every day. <laughs> <laughs> sell, sell, sell. Okay, eight six six ninety red eye. Most owner-operators leased to larger carriers are paid on a per-mile basis or a percentage of revenue per load. The per-mile basis is most prevalent among larger fleets. Percentage at smaller. 
pay per mile tends to dominate discussions about pay just because it's easier to measure. And pay per mile often is wrongly used as the deciding factor in leasing to a carrier. While pay per mile can be a vital factor, it's not a cure for every ill. Nor does it mean a big settlement check is coming an owner-operator's way. Why? Because pay per mile always must be considered in balance with gross revenue as well as total costs. Gross revenue can include flat mileage pay, mileage pay that varies by length of haul, percentage revenue pay, and more. Most importantly, though, for every revenue dollar generated, only part of that dollar is profit. But for every extra dollar of cost saved, the entire dollar contributes to profit. Knowing and understanding your cost to operate is fundamental to understanding the true value of any pay package. Owner-Operator Business 101 is provided by Shell Rotella. Shell Rotella, with advanced synthetic technology, is designed to help keep your rig running with more mileage and less maintenance. Coming up, more with Gary McNamara and Eric Harley. It's Red Eye Radio. It's Friday Radio. He's Eric Hurley, and I'm Gary McNamara, 86690-RED. I found the audio from uh, from Jim Cramer. Okay. You just, when you said economists are all trillionaires, I burst out laughing. <laughs> and, I just, and that made me think of uh, that, that story out there that Jim Cramer was promoting, uh, SVP Bank, mm-hmm. uh, as one of the best stocks to buy. Here we go. They are the best value, especially if you like to uh, imbibe. The ninth best performer year-to-date is SVB Financial, don't you want? This company's a merchant bank with a deposit base that Wall Street had been mistakenly concerned about. SVB is the old Silicon Valley Bank. Recently bought one of our favorite research firms, Moffitt Nathanson, and it's become less dependent upon private equity and venture capitalist offerings. Wait a second. Those dried up last year, they could come back. Yes, some of them come back here with a stock directly affects an oversold position. Stock was the fourth worst performer in 2022. I think the fears were not justified, and it's a very compelling situation. Hey, by the way, long-term private equity and venture capital, they're not going away. Being the banker to these immense pools of capital has always been a very good business. Oh, that aged well. (laughs) Is he going to cry today? Remember when he what what advice did he give out? It's within the last six months. I remember because we played him basically crying on the air because of his advice, and I forgot what stock it was. I don't know, but it's I can't remember, but I it was something of this nature. What was it? It was something, but it was, and then it just became a big story. Oh, we'll have to go back and find it. But no, that's it. You know. um, he doesn't break it down as to why he thinks the whole thing, you know, in that what, what you just heard was overplayed. Why the bad news about Silicon Valley financial was, oh. was you know, it's meta stock. Huh. Last fall, Kramer appeared on CNBC's Airwaves and offered okay. an emotional apology to viewers uh, for, yes. touting, yeah, for yeah. touting oh, meta stock, the value of which plummeted by some 25% during a single trading session. Uh, since the apology, yeah. however, meta shares have rebounded, but yeah. still they have problems. Well, yeah, right. and the company's basically abandoning their venture into animation. <laughs> <laughs> you said Look, though you can you, be a cartoon. You said though because you were reading that one. Mm-hmm. Some listener sent us uh, a, a a story, and a tweet it, by uh, Bill by, Bill Ackman, and and uh, P 
Peter Schiff, the economist, yeah. hit oh. back at him. Oh, yeah. I, dis- I I found that just as we went into the break. And so here's uh, the economist, uh, Peter Schiff, responding to Bill Ackman. Uh, Bill Ackman, you know, saying, oh, this is not a bailout. And he says, and Peter Schiff responds, you couldn't be more wrong. By the way, I love tweets that sound that, that start that way. Government guaranteed bank accounts are a major part of the problem. We need capitalism in banking, not socialism. Having a sound banking system requires banks to compete for customers based on safety. The moral hazard of deposit insurance prevents it. Uh, another person in the thread says, so curious how many people supporting this bailout or against student loan forgiveness would love to hear the difference. Um, and Peter Schiff is not for either, and but he did, did respond to that, and he, and he starts with, I'm opposed to both. But I'm also opposed to government guaranteed or direct student loans. Uh, I'd be in favor of forgiving current student loans if we ban the government from ever making or guaranteeing <laughs> another student loans again. Well, he kind of makes a point. I mean, I, I think he's making that tongue-in-cheek. But that is but a big that, that is a big but. Yeah, that, yeah That's exactly. a huge but. Well, it's a conditional uh, statement, and but it's, it's one of those that you know isn't going to happen. Government loans are why college is so expensive, and he's absolutely right. And, uh, I, wow, I, I we hadn't talked about We hadn't mentioned Peter Schiff's name in a long time. And uh, I'm going to hit that follow button right now. And, um, and But he, he makes a good point here. And, and that's what it comes down to, is that we talked about this, and if you've listened to us for any amount of time, we went through and we were breaking down uh, what ha- for years what happened in the mortgage meltdown. A lot of them, a lot of other people did that. Uh, David Faber did his special House of Cards, not to be confused with the Netflix thing. And uh, on CNBC, didn't go back far enough as to where this all began. We left, did. Left out a huge part of the equation, left which out, is the government that's being right. involved in the mortgage yep, business. You take Fannie and Freddie out of the equation, then what do you have? You have lenders and borrowers across the table from each other, and the lender qualifying in a way that should have been done all along. But when you have the U.S. government's going to back it, Expect a bunch of guys to go out and bundle these things and, well, exactly what happened. And that's how we got there in short form. Afford Anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls, how to refine your mental models, and how to think about how to think. Paula, while certainly you can mess up on a million dollars a year, it is far less likely than it is on $30,000 a year. Right. I would meet wonderful people that were struggling with a budget that was super tight. It was 100%. You need to make more money. Make smarter choices and build a better life. Afford Anything, wherever you listen. Giving you 70% each night. Eric Harley and Gary McNamara on Red Eye Radio. Uh, that's, that's okay on the show, but probably doesn't cut it in banking. Yeah. <laughs> he's, Eric he's, and, the Eric and Gary Savings and Loan will make sure that at least 70% of your money is still there in the morning. Nobody gives you a toaster anymore if you open up a bank account. Remember that? There's no incentives 
anymore, is yeah, there? Uh, yeah, there's uh, cash now, actually. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, I, mm-hmm. yeah. Got to be quite a bit of money. I haven't seen that. Uh, Nobody's offering no, it's, me cash. It's, uh, it's two, typically, it's like two or 300 if you open a new bank account and then you have to make oh, a, new bank uh, okay. a deposit. You know, yeah, that's what okay. it's. Okay, all right. You know, just like back in the day, it was opening a, getting a toaster for opening a new savings account. This mm-hmm. is a new checking account. You get 300 bucks. I would rather have the toaster. $300, I'd, that's useless. I, I can make toast with a toaster. <laughs> Let's go to Andy in Rockwall, Texas. Andy, welcome. You're on Red Eye Radio. Welcome to the show. Hi, guys. First of all, the Kramer bit was hilarious. Mm. And uh, I'm, I'm not as much a ranch dressing guy as I am a blue, che- blue cheese dressing guy. But my <laughs> question is, if we're going to manipulate laws to make whole people in these financial institutions, where do I, where, where, am I, where am I not entitled to demand that the laws be manipulated to reimburse me for losses in my 401k accounts? Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, that's, I, I think it's a great point. You know, point. I said, I brought up crypto, Andy, as, a, as an example. Hey, if you lost, lost money on Bitcoin, then the government should just step in and make you whole. We we're just, of course, making the point if they're good, we're going to do this, then go full on. But, but you make, a, I think, a, even more, uh, uh, fair comparison because we're talking mm-hmm. about people's retirements, right? And of course, we've yes, all seen, exactly. we've all been watching the ups and well, hopefully you're not watching it on a day to day basis, but we've been, we watched the ups and downs over the years and we see that and it can hit really, really hard. Uh, my father, uh, will be 90 in May and, you know, he still, of course, takes, uh, draws from his 401k as mandated by law. Um, but, you know, when you're in at a fi- fixed income, you know that you start taking a, a hit when the economy goes down, and everybody is, my gosh, where wouldn't you bail people out if you're going to go this far uh, with banks like this? Then where wouldn't you step in, right? But you, but you make the point when you talk about you know talk about socialism and banking and finance and things like that. But yeah. when you talk about your four hundred one k. We're kind, if you have a 401k, and especially when it starts growing, you start looking at it. Uh-huh. There's a number of options you can be in. You look right. at the risk. Mm-hmm. You say, okay, I need to get out of these mutual funds and into these over here. You can get in a stable I, fund. Right, just, stable yeah. funds. Yeah. And and so it makes you pay attention. You just don't yeah, sit right. there and say, well, whatever, no matter what happens, uh, you know, if I've worked my entire life and I have 500000 I don't have to worry about it, you know, mm-hmm. just let it flow or whatever. No, right. you actually make plans and you pay attention you pay attention. That's a great uh, to point. It. It's actually a learning experience. If you are paying attention, you do learn because then it becomes your money. Great point, Andy. Thank Thanks, you Andy. for the call. We yeah. appreciate it. Uh, I, I will say the other thing too that that is being brought up, and we haven't touched on this yet. You know, and you and I always go back to the 2012 election hmm. when Romney and there were other Republicans out there saying that the Chinese manipulate their currency. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And you just heard it, and everybody got behind it. Yeah, and right. it was just—I mean—that was the narrative there. Yeah, it was like you and I were sitting there one day on the air. We're waiting. We're waiting. We're yeah. waiting. Right. You know, these yeah. Chinese. How dare they manipulate the? We manipulate our currency. Right. We do it all the time, and it's just like it's—it's, it's, and it's like that narrative was never out there because no, it was a good attack on the Chinese. But you know, we have done it. And when you think about the manipulation of interest rates, right. That has been done for over a decade in order to make it so government could borrow trillions of dollars 
and pay a very small interest rate on it. Uh, but then it gets to the point where that comes back and, and haunts you because then you don't have people wanting to buy your treasury bills anymore right. unless you keep it in a very dire situation where it's like, okay, I'm not going to make any interest you know, on these bonds or, or treasury bills or whatever, uh, but it's safe. It's safe. At least I'll get back what I, you know, what I put in. But it's talked about how, you know, SVP, because you think about it, they couldn't make anything by putting it into treasuries. Right. Where you, where you, you know, if you let the market more control, you know, what is paid, but the manipulation over 2008 made it so, okay, we need to put it in something else that's going to make it long term, Mm -hmm. where we have to take a risk at this point. But we need to do that because we've got these depositors and we've got to put it somewhere and we're not going to put it in treasury bills. Right. Right. And so we're going to put the, you know, we're, we're going to put these deposits in these particular financial instruments and it comes back to haunt you. And it's like, okay, when we need to bail that out too. When, when the government is just manipulating across the board everything. Yeah. And I just, I get so sick and tired of, well, the Fed's job is to make sure that the uh, interest rates stay uh, below, or uh, that uh, the prime interest rate stays below two percent, and at the same time, ensure that unemployment. <laughs> Stop it! Well, you know, I mean, that's the whole thing. Is that uh, Peter Schiff points out, and 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 I think you know, and not as a uh, a direct way, but I think you and I have, have pointed out over the years that you know. Uh, Having a sound banking system requires, and this is directly from his tweet, his response, Peter Schiff's response on Twitter to Bill Ackman. Um, having a sound banking system requires banks to compete for custom, uh, customers based on safety, sure footing. And you and I have talked about that. We've talked about it for many years on the whole housing collapse. And when they created the subprime mess, you go back to the article, September 30th, 1999, in the New York Times. They wrote about it and warned about it. That this will dwarf the savings and loan fallout if they go through with this subprime thing. And basically it comes down to when you create that kind of backing. Socialism in that kind of financial setting. And think about it, because for most people... It is the greatest investment you will make if you buy a home. You back it if the U.S. government, Fannie and Freddie, are in it. Well, there's no way it can fail. So everybody's going to take risks they wouldn't take. And the banks did just that, putting money in hands of people that shouldn't have had maybe that much money. Maybe some of them shouldn't have had any money to buy a home at that point. But they had they had assets. They had loans like the Nina, which stood for no income, no assets. What is that? Prove your breathing and we'll give you a loan. It was stupid. They were putting so much money on the streets. People went shopping and the, 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 the price of houses just went way through the roof. And those people shouldn't have had that much money. Some of them shouldn't have had any money. And then, of course, the whole zero down. No teeth in the game. And people were wondering why they were abandoning properties and didn't really care. In fact, some of the um, uh, appliances were, 
either damaged or taken from the properties in some cases because people didn't have any teeth in the game. When you put 50 grand down or 30 grand down or whatever it's going to be, that's your money you don't want to walk away from. This, these are the very principles of borrowing and lending that should be in play where the government doesn't come in and say, well, we'll back it. And so when they started bundling these things and these assets, these bundled assets got these massive ratings, these, the highest of all ratings. Oh, but no, they all had triple A ratings that because the U.S. government, if the U.S. government is backing it, who wouldn't buy yeah, them? Because remember, there's going to be investigations and nothing happened there. Nothing remember? happened. Investigated. Why were these AAA rated? They were AAA rated because there was the implied guarantee of the United States of America. Exactly. You financial idiots. Right. We need to get to the bottom of it. It's not hard to get to the bottom of it. In 2003, it was, I think it was actually on September 11, 2003, then Treasury Secretary Snow was testifying and he was saying to Barney Frank, Fannie and Freddie cannot sustain this. And Barney Frank turns around along with other Democrats and said, no, the problem is we are not doing enough of this. What they wanted you to believe is that, well, there's there's some bad paper out there. Create more good paper and it will make the bad, it will dilute the bad paper in that equation. That's like saying you have a tiny hole in your tire, but it's fine. You know how you create good paper? You create good paper by not having the government involved in the mortgage business. exactly, And so people are buying smaller homes that are more affordable that they can actually get into. And so, you you know, and that's how the system would be much more stable over the long term. Now, you may not have those incredible years that were built on a false foundation. Exactly. I like that. Yeah. No, that's (laughs) a a, a good one. Built on a false foundation. Right. But you would have people probably in smaller, newer homes uh, that that they that they that they were able to uh, afford, and at the same time building their credit, building their actual worth, because you know is 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 a, what is a house worth if the person in it cannot afford it? Exactly. What is a house actually worth it's, at that particular point? Because we saw the crash, right? We saw what happened in the crash, how the values you know went down, you know, severely in the in the. The if housing you, market and how many pay for it. and how many people how many tens of millions of people were destroyed forever that probably couldn't get a mortgage for and, another and, another twenty years and that was the thing the government was coming in saying well these individuals should have the American dream of home ownership and we should get them out of poor neighborhoods or apartments and and this is the idea that and this liberal idea which is often built on this noble sounding idea will give them the American dream well. But in turn, what you did was because when you look at the um, the, the credit agencies and underwriters uh, going forward, when they see somebody that has a, a a foreclosure, they look at that in a serious way because what they're saying is they couldn't sustain putting a roof over their family's head. Even bankruptcy is going to the courts and saying. I'm here to deal with the fact that I can't pay. Foreclosure is looked at differently. I have people close to me that are underwriters and have been for years of major financial companies, and that's just the way they look at it. So instead of this noble idea of American dream, now you've got foreclosures on their books, and they may never qualify for a home because you wanted to force it as a government. 
That, to me, should be looked into, but it never will be. And you who, and I have been talking right. about this for a long, long time. Everything we're talking about here happened because the government stepped in and wanted to force something that wasn't real. 866-90-RED-EYE. Lines open for your calls. 866-90-RED-EYE on Red Eye Radio. It's Red Eye Radio. He's Eric Cronin. I'm Gary McNamara, 866-90-RED-EYE. And the signature bank that that went under, I didn't know until you told me, Barney Frank yeah. is on the board of directors? Mm-hmm. That's right. How in the living... Yeah. I, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to curse here, and I don't want to curse... How in the world, after the debacle that he was about and what he promoted in in the mortgage meltdown in 2008-2009, how could anyone in the private sector put him on any type of board that has to do with anything financial in the United States of America, ever? Remember right at the end of his time in Congress when the day he went on CNBC and claimed, because I just mentioned when, when uh, then Treasury Secretary Snow in 2003 was testifying and and he was promoting, they were all promoting, you know, no, home ownership, home ownership, home ownership. And he went on CNBC. I think he may have been out of office maybe short a short time at that point. And he says, Oh, well, I never, years later after 2003, I never promoted home ownership. I always said that a, apartment living would be better. Absolute it, liar. The phones <laughs> melted yeah. down. There was a story that day of how the, the people just just bombarded CNBC's phones when he said that. That's how bad that that whole situation with the mortgage meltdown was. And he's on the board at Signature. Uh, no, thank you. I'll take my money somewhere else, please. So you'd like to be a a, a fireman? Yes. Yeah. And what are your qualifications? I well, a... I'm an arsonist for the mob. Yeah. In I... order to collect insurance payments. Yeah. I I have I have lots of matches. <laughs> I'm a great match for this company. <laughs> <laughs> See what I did. See. What... Oh see, see what I did there? You know, that, that really wasn't funny, but I imagine I Barney <laughs> Frank saying it, and that's why I laughed. It was, yeah, it was only funny because it was so stupid. Stupid, right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, no, that's, you know, and that's the whole thing is that most people, you don't have to be, uh, you don't have to do this for, do that for a living in order to see what is what. You know, and that's the whole idea is that any layman can look at this and say, wow, yeah, this was bound to go bad when you know the facts. This is Red Eye Radio on Westwood One. Now. It's Red Eye Radio 
Gary McNamara and Eric Harley talk about everything from politics to social issues and news of the day. Whether you're up late or you're just starting your day, welcome to the show. This is Red Eye Radio. All across the USA and around the world, we are Red Eye Radio. He is Eric Harley and I'm Gary McNamara. If you can't listen live overnight, you can download our app and listen when and where you want. And it's okay. Sometimes we're not talking live. Like right now, Gary's live and I'm recorded. Yes. I am live. Eric is AI. Uh, uh-huh. Well, I'm just A. <laughs> that second part is questionable, frankly. Uh, you are an A. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> you know what i miss you know what i really miss this time of the year liquor oh what well no because oh. uh, uh, friday is st patrick's day oh okay look do you see i i oh wore, it is look, isn't it look see what i have on oh I wore, I'm, I'm wearing it array. says shamrocks and shenanigans, shenanigans. Yes. oh you're going for both shamrocks Rock, and, and shenanigans. shenanigans yes i i started wearing the uh the irish stuff early this year um but so <laughs> let me see did i drink last uh st patrick's day no the one before no the one before no so probably no the for this friday yeah it's probably been it's probably been over 30 years since i've actually had a drink on st patrick's day thing for me though saint you know st patrick's day for me yeah is always memorable yeah that's when, if I hadn't made an oral agreement that day, I wouldn't be here. Oh. 23 oh, years ago. Oh. Oh. 23 years ago is uh, when I, I guess it was, a, it was an interview because I got a job out of it and I agreed to do it. Oh. Did I ever tell you that story? Because I was thinking of getting out of talk radio and, and, but, you know, Bob called me. Right. You know, and he just said, why don't you said, because I said, I don't know. It's, he said, why don't you come in and sit in? They actually paid me. I came in and sat in on a show uh, for for two days. And it was the 16th and 17th yeah. of, uh, of, of, of March in 2000. Huh. And it was happened to be a Friday or Thursday and a Friday. Same thing. Wow. And they paid me. And I was like, well, we'll pay you to come in. We'll pay you to fill in for the show. And I'm like, well, okay, and see how you like it. And it was so. It was really cool. It wasn't like wow. you have an interview here. Yeah. And I knew it was. I mean, but it was like it wasn't presented. And and uh, so I filled in on that Thursday. I can remember one of the topics that I brought up. Yeah. Gasoline had gone over a dollar sixty a gallon. Yeah. Yeah. That was yeah. the topic. I'll yep. never forget that. Yep. 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 That was the big deal. <clears throat> and I'm. And again, so you you come in. You're just filling in. And, you know, I didn't, it wasn't, you know, I flew in to Dallas and then mm, yeah. came in and did, and it was like, oh, this is easy. Because, <laughs> you know, yeah. it's like gas prices, of course, the phone's going to go crazy. Right. Yeah. I remember so, uh, back then, because yeah. I was doing the, uh, uh, this show, uh, the all night show and truck drivers were oh yeah uh, just, oh, oh my yep. gosh, they were hurting so bad because fuel surcharges were basically non-existent. Mm-hmm. And they were having to park their truck because of the massive increase in diesel costs. And so uh, it came, the the show was, I, I filled in 9 to 11. Mm. So 11's over, and I went in, and Bob said, let's go to lunch. Yeah. So we go to this, and it was the second day, like this will be, of 
you know, the March Madness. Oh, yeah. And so we went to, like, yeah. this sports bar, and it's, you know, all over the place. Right, yeah, like yeah. And Bob looks at me, and I had a history with Bob. I mean, mm. I knew Bob well before, but he had tried to hire me in uh, previously in Madison, Wisconsin, and then in um, Albuquerque. Yeah. And both times I turned him down. Yeah. <laughs> so I'll never forget. I've let Bob down, uh, too, several times. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if Bob would Oh, rem- you said I, turned him down. Yeah, okay, turned yeah, him down. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I don't know if Bob would remember this, but yeah. he actually said, he said, well, he said, uh, what do you think? And I said, yeah. I think I fit. He goes, so do I. I think you fit really well. Yeah. He said, but I'm not going to offer you the job because you've turned me down twice. (laughs) (laughs) And and I'm not going to make it a third time. (laughs) Right. I had the best interviews. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) That was interview was better than when I interviewed in Nashville one time. Yeah. And I toured all the, flew in on a Friday night, Mm. woke up early, toured all the the, uh, facilities. We talked a little bit, didn't get to the money part of it, then went to the program director's house watched football because it was like three days before christmas yeah watch football and he goes have a beer and yeah. i'm like why have wow. I, have the, I have the weirdest interviews when a portland oregon interview come on let's take a ride on my boat All right would you like a beer i'm like oh man it goes against everything having a alcohol on an interview are you nuts you can't do it but right. in the situations i was in I'm like okay i'll have a beer yeah, right <laughs> and i still got still got both wow. jobs uh, yeah uh, uh, well still was offered both jobs right yeah. Well, accepted one, turned down the other. Uh, but uh, he said, I'm, I'm not going to offer it to you. He said, you have to tell me whether you'd be interested. And I said, well, if I said, yeah, I am. And if you want to hire me, um, if, if, if I want to work here, if you want to hire me, I think I put yeah. it like that. Yeah. I said, I want to work here if you want to hire me. He says, okay. <laughs> and then it went on from there. But it was just, yeah, wow. it, it was, it would, uh, if, uh, and I can still remember because it was St. Patrick's Day. And I remember, I had nothing to do on that because it was like Friday at noon, and then I was back at the hotel probably by one or two in the afternoon. Yeah, there's wow. nothing to do, and then oh, yeah. what the heck is like got to be happy hour. Mm. And I was in the apartments right across the street from our old studio. Remember the hotel? Oh, was yeah. right there. Yeah, yeah. So the hotel right. bar was there. I'll never forget. Yeah. Going, going over there like around happy hour time, yeah. getting something to eat, and there were just people were just oh, as yeah. drunk as you could imagine. I've heard but, the ah! stories. Yeah, <laughs> it was it was really. I, I had a similar meeting with Bob uh, early on when he started. Uh, he started a few years after I did, and and you know it was like we had this great meeting. I said, you know what, let's have some drinks. And he said, we're at IHOP and it's seven a.m. <laughs> I said, so you know it's weird though. Um, it just occurred to me. I also came to this. I also came to this town. Sudden, I'm in a western. I also came to this market in March. It was March of '95. It wow. wasn't. It wasn't wow. this company, but mm-hmm. uh, I worked uh, for a station called The Edge. It's not around anymore. But I was hired to The Edge in March of '95. Uh, it was. I had one day off between jobs. I left a small town. Had one day off. My niece was born on that day. And then the next day, I started my job here in Dallas, and so I I never put that together. I know you. I, I'm sure you told the story before about when you came to WBAP. Mm-hmm. I know I've heard it, and I I don't know why I never put that. To, but I also started in this town uh, in March. Well, it's it's really interesting because March for some reason uh, I started my first radio job right yeah. out of college in March. Yeah. 
And then I got out for a few years and, you know, worked at the, the steel plant, machinist, things yeah. like that. Yeah. And I got back in yeah. in March of 83. Right. So actually this is for the second time I got back in radio was March of 83, which would have been last week. Like yeah. a week ago Monday or, yeah, a week ago Monday is when I right. would have started in Florida. Right. Uh, at a rock station. And so that was 40 years ago. And I was thinking about that last week because it's like, wow. Yeah. As, if you take the nine months that I was in previous to that, by the time we get to this summer, it'll be 41 years. Mm. I'm like, my God, how the – because it doesn't – I look at everybody else that I know in radio, everybody else that I know, including people that I didn't know but respected. Mm-hmm. And when I – and many of those were in music radio, and they were all done by the time they were in their 40s. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I'm like, yeah. I'm still in here. Yeah, they moved game. on to other careers, and, and and I don't feel like, and it's based on just, and I've only had these thoughts really the last few years, as, as you know, when I got close to retirement age and right. made the decision, no, that's not going to happen, <laughs> right? And and I just, it's like how blessed I am, how incredibly blessed I am, uh, because. The only reason I'm here is because of stubbornness and stupidity. Hmm. I was yeah. never, I was yeah. never, I had no natural talent at all. The only thing I think I had in talent was I was stubborn. I was stubborn yeah. and I was too stupid to know how hard it was going to be because I loved it so much. Oh, if you had and, told me back then, I, yeah, it would, uh, no. It, yeah. It, it, it's a different kind of work. I don't want to pretend. Uh, it's work because there's I I have uh, lifelong friends who do manual labor for a living and and man I I I don't think I could ever (laughs) I I did uh, just light lawn work over the weekend just for a few minutes and I'm sore but I but I but there's so much that goes into it I mean it you it has to especially working these hours it requires a lot because uh, the news cycle is not is not short It, it it's not you know, just a few hours a day, it, it, it keeps going. Uh, but yeah, that's the same. I, I, I just kept showing up. I mean, I just didn't leave. No, no, I, I'm like you, I probably could not work a laborer's job just because of the arthritis in my ankle yeah. and, and, yeah. and my back, you know, yeah. I couldn't be standing and lifting things and, and doing that at, at this, not that I couldn't do it, but I'd, I'd have to oh, sit. I'm, I'm good for a project, I, but yeah, a I'd living, have, I don't think, I don't know. I don't know I, that I could do that. I'd have to sit down. Now, this is, though, when I look back at it, because I don't look at how I view being in radio now. Mm -hmm. It's how I was, especially talk radio, Mm -hmm. when I started. Mm -hmm. And what a daunting task. It's like a different career, isn't it? It, It's it's, a totally different career than music radio. When you come out of music radio, and then, and because there is, you, you, there was this uh, the series of seminars that they sent us to. And when, back then, I was like, I don't need seminars. I know everything there is to know about radio. I'm an expert. Uh, but no, I mean, you know, who wants to set through a seminar? But I remember so much from that. And and uh, the Dan O'Day seminars, if anybody in radio <laughs> yeah, is listening. I I, yeah, yeah. And it was so great. And Dan was just so <clears throat> spot on. And it stayed with me. When he was talking about, and he would play air checks of other radio personalities. Okay, this is what you got to do. You got to kind of share a little bit of yourself, and that's basically how you develop personality. But this—that was all about music radio. But then, when you parlay that into and apply it to talk radio, 
especially the type of talk radio we do. Uh, you know, opinionated talk radio, you've got to share pretty much everything. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying every everything, every day-to-day detail of your life, but you have to share who you are and and how you believe. And a lot of people don't like that and probably wouldn't do that. I, and you and I know a number of people in, in broadcasting that that just simply won't do that. And, you know, that it's just they wouldn't want to be in opinionated radio mm-hmm. for that reason. Well, I, I'm not saying music radio was extremely hard because mm-hmm. I went in thinking, I'll never forget, and it was my second stint, which would have started 40 years ago last week, mm-hmm. and, and in a place like, Fort Walton Beach, Navarre, Pensacola, Florida. Mm-hmm. And I remember thinking to myself, going to the rock station there, mm-hmm. I remember thinking, wow, <laughs> parties, mm-hmm. beach, bikinis, mm-hmm. I mean, the, the, the things you're thinking of at that time. Would, and, it, and and it, you wore a bikini almost every day. Right. I mean, yeah. and I was very, there. Yeah. well, I was ahead of my time. You yeah, know? yeah. I, mean, I was ahead yeah. of my time in that one. Yeah. It's like, now, it's, trendsetter. now it's like, now it's like everybody doing it bad. That's where I did come up with the philosophy uh-huh. when everybody was talking because I lived on the beach. Right. I lived on the beach. And, and that's where I came up with the philosophy where mm-hmm. people were talking about, well, we need to have topless beaches. And I went, no, men need, men need to put their tops back on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but. Yeah. In, but, in no, t- but but it was it was hard. But the trans it's almost like a different business because yeah. the mindset's completely different. Music radio was hard, mm-hmm. and I wasn't prepared for it when I first went in. I mm-hmm. wasn't. Mm-hmm. And when I first got hired, the first job I had in seventy eight mm-hmm. for like nine months. Later, years later, uh, you know, I connected with the owner again, and he said, "What did you think?" He said, "You stayed in radio after you got out." He said, "But you didn't get back in for a while." And I said, "Because I wasn't prepared." Mm-hmm. I wasn't prepared to even do music radio, mm-hmm. and uh, and I thought it w- I thought it was going to be easier, but the fact is, once you do anything for as long as we've done it, mm-hmm. and and for myself, it's still work every day, but I would say the toughest part is not organizing your mind on the topics and analysis and study that you're doing because that be that's natural. There is like a natural excitement to it. And I don't even recognize the hardest part of it anymore because I've done it for such a long time when my friends, when Independent Bob came up to me one time and said, you're the most disciplined person I've ever met in my life. Mm-hmm. Like, who the hell are you talking to? Mm-hmm. Your sleep shift, everything. And I didn't even realize it mm-hmm. because you're just doing it for the show. And I went, oh, yeah, you're right. I never thought about that. I do have to be disciplined every single day. I mean, almost down to the minute. Yeah. It's like, got to do this, 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 this. And by this time, I've got to be here and do this and then go to sleep and well, I have to get my eight hours in every week. Every week. <laughs> Not every day for you, every week. Yeah. Uh, but, but, no, I mean, there are things that, that absolutely do have to uh, be put on the back burner. Right. You know, yeah, and, it, but, and, and those sacrifices you have to make because of just that it has to be done. Mm-hmm. And sometimes the sacrifice is sleep, but, but really most everything has to wait because but, the show takes precedent. So this all started because I mentioned the brackets because mm-hmm. the brackets are out and I thought yeah. don't you miss the days the good old days this is how I started this off we got into other tangents but it was good tangents. Uh-huh. Oh the good old days when the media was totally excited because Obama's going to let you know what his brackets are later on today. Yeah. Uh I think I think we're going to learn Biden's brackets. Oh I'm sorry no that's racket. <laughs> 
That's good. That's good. Yeah. For ad lib, that was see, yeah. see you got to be able yeah. to ad lib in talk radio. Uh-huh. That wasn't that wasn't like a that wasn't like a line you got. Remember remember the show prep books. Remember the little book. I remember I got the book that had like one liners that you would. Mm. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. They had in the show prep services and everything. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That almost sounded like that came from a show prep service. Not a bracket, but a racket. That's not a bracket. That's a racket. Eight six six ninety Red Eye. Get in touch with Red Eye Radio toll free at eight six six ninety Red Eye. It's Red Eye Radio. He is Eric Carley, and I'm Gary McNamara, 866-90-RED-EYE, uh, uh, if you'd like to get into the uh, the, the show. I think that's what you're going to get, though, today. I think you're going to see the uh, populist reaction, uh, you know, to the, uh, the Silicon Valley Bank and then Signature Bank being bailed out. I think uh, you're going to see a big pushback against the bailout you know, above $250,000. And that's why they immediately came out and Janet Yellen said it's not a bailout. And that's why you get a lot of people that may be hurt by this saying it's not a bailout, it's not a bailout, it's not a bailout. Well, there's a question whether it will eventually be a bailout because we don't know how much the assets of the bank when finally sold off would be able to reimburse the depositors uh, on this. Right. But uh, if it's 95 or 90 percent, well, then it's still a bailout, as Janet Yellen said, indirectly, because they would raise the fees on the FDIC fees, which means that would be passed on to the consumer, which means you're paying it off. You're paying it off. And the the bad thing is the precedent it sets that doesn't really matter what you do. We have to bail out any bank, any major bank that goes under. Well, it sounds like, you know, it, it, it really is uh, a reminiscent of Fauci saying, well, that's not the definition of gain of function. Well, this isn't the definition of a bailout. Well, if other people are having to pay for it, yeah, it is. Of course it is. And so, you know, this is where there's no credibility whatsoever with her. And, and gosh, is it is it everybody... In any position of power on the left, I mean, Fauci. Well, that's not gain of function. Well, this isn't a bailout. Oh, yeah, of course it is. Change of definition. Right. Oh, we got to talk about Fauci. No reasonable prosecutor. I mean, honestly, they all do it. (laughs) I know. And over and over again, everybody's like, well, well, I guess so. It's not a bailout. Janet Yellen says it's not a bailout. Yeah. Well, let's let's break it all down. Well, let's have transparency. Or is this all going to be classified by the end of the day? Well, maybe what we're getting is transitory transparency. Ah, yes. I, I, that's yeah. a, couldn't even say that. <laughs> Fourth branch of government, Eric Harley and Gary McNamara on Red Eye Radio. 
It's Red Eye Radio. He's Eric Harley, and I'm Gary McNamara, 866-90 of uh, Red Eye. You know, I he hadn't written anything on this uh, until, I believe, over the weekend. It would have been Saturday he wrote this. But mm. I was wondering uh, what constitutional law professor Jonathan Turley yeah. would would think about what happened last week when Matt Taibbi and, uh, and uh, Michael Schellenberger mm. were in front of uh, we're in front of the house and um and and the way that that they were treated by Democrats now we played uh a number of things but it was so long I mean it was extremely it was a you know it was a long thing it you it was impossible to play it all last week uh on the show so we tried to play the the highlights but he uh he talks about uh Joseph Welch in the uh, in the McCarthy hearings uh, that when Joseph Wells said, "At long last, have you left no sense of de- uh, have have you left no sense of decencies, decency?" That words, those words by the lawyer Joseph Welch during the famous McCarthy hearings this week. Nearly seventy years later, Welch's words seem more relevant than ever as after House Democrats savaged two journalists who attempted to explain a government effort to censor citizens. It was only the latest in a series of hearings in which FBI agents and other whistleblowers, experts, and journalists have been personally attacked for raising free speech concerns. This week's hearings, talking about last week's hearings, showed definitively that we still live in a post-decency era. The latest attacks came after journalist Matt Taibbi and Michael Schellenberger testified about breaking the Twitter file story detailing how the FBI and other agencies secretly sought to censor or ban citizens from social media. Now, understand this again, Matt Mm -hmm. Taibbi and Michael Schellenberger, and they were asked the direct questions from Jim Jordan. Are you a Republican? No. (laughs) Are you a mega Trump supporter? No. Who did you vote for in the last election? Biden. Biden. What are you? Democrats. It didn't matter. This all started, you can go all, all the way back to Bernard Goldberg yep. uh, when he wrote his book, Bias. Yep. And a few years later, these right-wing authors, he wasn't right-wing. He was no. a liberal. Yeah. He's a liberal who believed still in journalism. And that's what Matt Taibbi and Michael Schellenberger are. Well, you had Delegate Stacey uh, Plaskett from the Virgin Islands, the ranking member of the House Judiciary Committee, attack them. By the way, she's horrible. She is just horrible. Jordan had her a couple times. You could see it in her face. She was almost sweating. It was almost, you you could see on her face the tension because they really don't have a point. But she attacked them as so-called journalists and said that Matt Taibbi and Michael Schellenberger were a direct threat to the safety of others by reporting the censorship story. Hmm. Tybee pushed back saying, I'm not a so-called journalist and giving a brief discussion or description of his award-winning career at Rolling Stone and other publications. Yet other committee members also attacked the honesty of the two journalists after failed efforts to claim that they were Elon Musk's corrupt scribes. They limited uh, him in their in uh, or limiting limited by him in their investigations. The committee members attacked their ethics. The witnesses were attacked on everything but their choice of socks. Representative Debbie Wasserman Schultz even claimed that being a Republican witness today certainly casts a cloud over your objectivity. 
when Wasserman uh, impugned the two journalists' honesty and ethics, she immediately reclaimed her time to prevent them from defending themselves. When the subcommittee chair gave them a chance to answer her claims, Wasserman Schultz and her Democratic colleagues objected that a witness was allowed to defend himself after being blocked from doing so. In an earlier attack, and I believe we played this last week, an earlier attack, Representative Stephen Lynch prevented Taibbi from answering a question and dismissed his effort to defend his position, saying, this is how it works. I'll ask a question, and you try to provide an answer if you can. And then wouldn't let him provide an answer. Yeah. Said, no, 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 yeah. I'm not going to let yeah. you talk. Yeah. And right. then actually said that, actually, he wouldn't, after he wouldn't let him talk. I mean, it was horrible. Yeah. No, it was it was bad. After attacking the very notion of investigating the government for possible censorship efforts, the attacks then took a particularly menacing turn as some members began to demand confidential information. We played this part last week. On journalist sources, Taibbi pushed back and said he could not reveal information on his sources, but that he just seemed to make Democrats more irate. Representative Sylvia Garcia pressed Taibbi to say that Musk was a source. He replied again, I can't give it to you, unfortunately, because this is a question of sourcing. I'm a journalist. I don't reveal my sources. And that's when it got ugly, and we played all this last week. Garcia effectively declared that she had trapped Taibbi because the only logical conclusion was that Musk was his source when House Judiciary Committee Chairman Representative Jim Jordan objected to badgering a reporter for his sources. Democrats piled on. Plaskett declared that if Taibbi wouldn't comment on Musk, it must mean the Twitter owner was the source in question. It was a chilly but defining moment. For several years now, many Democratic members have embraced censorship on social media and resisted efforts to uncover government efforts to silence citizens. Now, this is, I'm reading this here from Jonathan Turley. As someone who grew up in a liberal Democratic family in Chicago, I knew that a commitment to free speech was one of the most compelling values of the party back then. Today, free speech by the Democrats is treated as harmful and dangerous. President Joe Biden is arguably the most anti-free speech president since John Adams, and the Democratic Party is largely committed to censorship and speech regulation. Some Democratic figures, including Plaskett, have declared that hate speech is unprotected under the First Amendment, a categorically, a categorically untrue claim as the evidence mounts of an even broader censorship effort by the Biden administration, the Democrats' attacks have become more unhinged and unscrupulous. After shredding any fealty to free speech, they are now attacking journalists, demanding their sources, and claiming that their reporting is a public threat. Plaskett even attempted to defend the Federal Trade Commission, demanding that Twitter turn over the names of journalists who have communicated with the social media company. Other Democrats have uh, shrugged off this outrageous demand by the FTC, headed by Chairwoman Lena Kahn, a former Democratic staffer with the Judiciary Committee. For many of us, this week demonstrates the final severing of many House Democrats from both free speech and free press values. What is left now is raw rage and politics. 
There is a major difference between today and the McCarthyism of 1954. Back then, when Attorney Welch objected to the Republican senator trashing his client, the press lionized Welch. Yet, as noted by Schellenberger and Taibbi, today's media have remained largely silent as fellow reporters were attacked for covering the Twitter censorship story. If Joseph Walsh appeared today to support free speech, he might very well be dismissed as some QAnon conspiracy theorist or Putin lover. But his words from the past, that until this moment I think I have never really gauged your cruelty or your recklessness, should be read to every one of these members. It is not what we expect uh, from our leaders today, but decency itself now seems to be irrelevant as, uh, as reason. Yeah, I mean, it was bad last week. If you ever wanted to, you know, watching it as I did and playing some of the audio cuts, it really, you did recognize that the fascist mindset to defeat free speech and have the government be the regulatory organization mm. for what is acceptable free speech, that fascist mindset is embedded as a mainstay. It's, you know, this isn't fringe anymore. It's right. not fringe no, no, it isn't. in the Democratic Party. It is mainstream in the Democratic Party, just yeah. like identity politics and the race baiting and lying to cause. And that's the funny thing. You cannot find a bigger organization today that lies about almost everything than the Democratic Party. Yet they are the ones that, by, if you look at it, by Jonathan Turley. Yeah. He would admit yeah. to that. Yeah. Jonathan Turley is a Democrat. He grew up as a liberal Democrat. He is the one, you know, you you and you look at it, and so is Taibbi, so is Schellenberger. They're liberals who believe in free speech, and the Democratic Party does not. They believe that the government should regulate your speech and destroy you if you attempt to take advantage of your free speech rights. Well, and, and that's it. And any question along the way is considered dissent, and any dissent is considered misinformation, disinformation, uh, harmful, and then to the extent of it should be punished and you should be you should be done away with. Your livelihood should be taken from you. Right. I mean, you can apply it uh, in in any way that you want to, if you're on the left, it should be shut down in California. If you, you know, at one point, if you use the wrong pronoun, then you faced jail time. Of course, that was overturned, but it was actually part of the law for a while in California. These are the things that, and then journalism, of course, how dare you? And this is where I think so much of this is, uh, and the fallout from the Twitter files, part of the fallout is that, we have said for a long time, uh, you know, going back to Obama, they thought Democrats thought they had won the White House forever. And then with social media, they thought they had won and were able to control the conversation forever. And then the liberal media, if you apply that outside of social media, they thought, OK, we control the narrative through the major media, the liberal media. We control the the narrative. And here you have. Michael Schellenberger and Matt Taibbi and Barry Weiss and others, again, not conservatives. They just want to do journalism. How dare you? No, we had already set it up where our narrative was going to be 
everything in the media. And if you ask a question, we'll label you and we'll tear you down. And that's where we are. And tell me your source. Who was your source? Oh, my gosh. Yeah, I mean, it was it, Can you it, imagine? It really amazing to see. It was really amazing to see last week. I mean, it was uh, it was it was, it was it fascinating, was, and it's in how despicable it was. Well, and 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 the fact that they really did not hold back at all. They're proud of that. We'll come after you. You tell us your source. Freedom of the press is out the window. Right. I don't care that you're liberal. I want journalism. I think journalism plays a critical role in a free society, real journalism. And I don't care who delivers it. I don't care what you believe in your mindset. Now, if you want to go off and have an opinion, uh, write an opinion piece or, or do an opinionated show or whatever it is, great. But journalism, real journalism plays a critical role in a free society. Well, the liberals can't have that. And they, they, they took it a step further when they accused Taibbi and, and Schellenberger of, you know, of basically doing their job as journalists to find out what yeah. was going on at Twitter. Right. And saying what they were doing was a threat to others and yes. the country. Right. That's when you You're know it's bad. Exactly. When the politicians, when the leaders of this country are start saying that doing a legitimate story is a threat to the country mm-hmm. and a threat to others, mm-hmm. that you shouldn't report a story. Right. Right. That's amazing. I mean, that's but that's where the Democratic Party is today. Yep. Eight six six ninety Red Eye. We'll be right back with more Red Eye Radio with Eric Harley and Gary McNamara. It's Red Eye Radio. Uh, he is Eric Harley, and I'm Gary McNamara, 86690 uh, Red Eye. Fauci speaks, Republicans mm. strike back. It's mm. going to be interesting. Yeah. You know, and you saw that the House and the Senate both unanimously passed that the anything that's classified from COVID-19 ought to be declassified. Yeah. And the right. president, even after the House passed unanimously, as the Senate did, Still won't say whether he'll veto it or not. Now, it doesn't matter because if it's been unanimous, they have the votes to override it. Mm, yeah. But the fact that the White House couldn't immediately say, no, no, he's going to support it. Wow. And it's really interesting because you had you had Mike Turner on, on Meet the Press mm. say, you know, Fauci's saying things that the intelligence doesn't back up. Right. That's why we need it out there. Right. Everybody wants it out there. Right. Let's release it because when it gets out there, you'll see Fauci is not being straight with you. Right. We'll get to the actual transcript of what he said coming up here, but that's just uh, fascinating. Plus, in an MSNBC article, they went after Top Gun Maverick mm. as insidious military propaganda, hoping before the Oscars... That it wouldn't win anything big. Oh, okay. And it didn't. It won for sound. (laughs) This is Red Eye Radio on Westwood One. 
It's Red Eye Radio. Gary McNamara and Eric Harley talk about everything from politics to social issues and news of the day. Whether you're up late or you're just starting your day, welcome to the show. This is Red Eye Radio. All across the USA and around the world, 866-90-RED-EYE. He is Eric Harley and I'm Gary McNamara. Download our Red Eye Radio app today and you can listen when and where you want if you can't listen live overnight. Some breaking banking news out there from uh, the other side of the world. We'll see if this actually could play into some breaking news, possible breaking news later today. So this from ABC News just a few minutes ago. Silicon Valley Bank UK will be acquired by HSBC and a deal that will protect deposits in the UK's uh, in the UK. And so now the question is, could there be a deal? I be- I have believed that uh, throughout this weekend, you're likely going to have a lot of suitors at the table, uh, just like you did with other, uh, you know, when, with with WAMU, the Washington Mutual fallout. Chase mm-hmm. was, you know, uh, took their assets. And so could it be that, and, and we don't know, but could it be that HSBC is also interested in, in taking the assets uh, here in the States. But this, again, is Silicon Valley Bank UK will be acquired by HSBC in a deal that will protect deposits there. And so um, deposits will not be, according to the Chancellor, uh, Jeremy Hunt, deposits will be protected with no taxpayer support. And so uh, we'll see where that goes stateside if uh, there's a deal to be done there. But I would guess that there would be, whether it's HSBC or another uh, institution, they're probably going to step up. You're going to see maybe a few right now stepping up and telling regulators, hey, you don't have to do anything. If, if we can come in and, and uh, make everything whole, uh, we'll take it from here. There are plenty of big players capable of doing that. And we'll see if that happens here in the states with Sil- Silicon Valley. You Bank. saw Elon Musk say, "I might buy it." Well, did you, well? Did you know uh, at the value at one point uh, of SVB was uh, two hundred and nine billion? Mm-hmm. And I thought, oh, at one point Elon had <laughs> <laughs> close to that somewhere in that area, uh, you know. And it's funny because. Uh, he probably would be a suitor. Uh, now, of course, he would have to have partners and mm-hmm. and other um, assets lined up. But the first thing I thought of—that's funny because I didn't know that he had he had uh, said or tweeted that uh, he might buy it. Uh, you know, and um, but at one point he was his uh, net worth was somewhere in that area of that that uh, bank's range of uh, of value. Uh, and we'll see where it goes from here. According to Barney Frank, (laughs) (sighs) Signature Bank was the bank that also uh, was seized by uh, federal regulators on Sunday, okay? Right. Um, Now, their exposure in crypto was pretty huge. Mm -hmm. In fact, as of early 2022... 
uh, they twenty roughly twenty seven percent of their deposits were from crypto companies, uh, which was which and 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 that had doubled in about a two year period. Uh, so that's pretty big exposure. We all know what's happened to the crypto market since early last year, and you look at that uh, kind of fallout now. Now, Barney Frank, who was on the board for former lawmaker, um, he's the Frank and Dodd Frank, uh, but uh, he said uh, in in a couple of different interviews that their bank signature bank was fine. It was okay, but it was. Fear driven by what happened with Silicon Valley Bank, and that's what drove the, uh, he said, actually, it happened in a couple of hours. There was a run on their bank uh, to the tune of billions of dollars. I don't have an exact figure in front of me, and I don't think he was precise on that number, but he said it happened within a couple of hours late Friday, and so regulators moved in on Sunday, so now you have two banks uh, that are that are basically have fallen uh, in a period of uh, just a couple of days. Now we'll see where it goes. If there is a you know another bank that's willing to step in and make the depositors whole, and uh, you know like they've done with uh, Silicon Valley Bank UK. Again, that's breaking news uh, coming across in the last few minutes that uh, HSBC uh, will be acquiring. Silicon Valley Bank UK. And it is, you know, about uh, when those other banks move in, the bigger banks move in uh, to get, you know, take over those assets. They have to work through regulators, of course, in those countries. And that's that's going to be a bit of a uh, chess game here over the next uh, couple of days. But it wouldn't surprise me if we were to hear uh, later today or maybe tomorrow that a large bank has taken over Silicon Valley Bank. I don't know about Signature Bank. I would mm-hmm. think the same would apply that you're going to have because if it is true what uh, Barney Frank said, who was on the board for Signature Bank, that they were fine. This was all driven by fear in their case. I would say Here, it, here's, it, here, it, it, their exposure to okay. crypto probably had something to do with it. But if that's the case, then there will be a, a large bank that's likely here's, interested. Here's a question. Who approves the sale price? No, that's what I think has to be. Is it the federal government? Does the federal government have to approve it, especially well, if, if there's if if they have uh, if they've I, got liabilities in it? I don't like you would. I, I don't know. If there is an auction type setting of of saying, okay, where's your bid, and 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 then you've got because you've got so many so much in deposits that have to be covered, right? Uh, and so if they come in and say, and this is, was uh, the news from the UK that you know, all right, deposits will be protected, no taxpayer support uh, coming from the chancellor there, uh, Jeremy Hunt in the UK. So if that's basically what regulators are looking at. But then I don't know from there if it is like a bidding war. I don't know what rules mm-hmm. apply and, and, and how they have to uh, prove that. Obviously, uh, you know, HSBC, Chase, uh, the, the major players. I mean, the big dog is Chase. But uh, Bank of America is large enough to do that. These, these major banks are certainly large enough in terms of their assets uh, to to uh, to make this happen in very quick fashion, 
But I'm interested, as you are, and curious about that process. But basically, you're looking to to assure them because politically, they can flip that around. Then you can have Janet Yellen make the statement here and say, you know, just like Jeremy Hunt basically made the statement in the U.K., all right, this bank will be, and of course, pending final approval, blah, blah, blah. But they do have to yeah. go through that approval process. That would have to be Whether because, yeah, any acquisition the, requires that approval that, process. That would be the question I would have. How do you do due diligence in three days, or does the process take longer? We buy it. The, yeah. Uh, uh, with the, with, uh, we, we buy it. We have the intention of buying it based on the fact that these parameters will be well, and and that's set. you know the the they have they have to provide the assets in order to make those depositors whole, and that's right. kind of like consider that their earnest money, and but then it's regulatory approval, just like any other acquisition of a of uh you know between two major companies, but in, when it's banking, uh, obviously it affects uh, the exposure to. You know, I mean, if you look at it, uh, Chase, uh, when they when they took over Washington Mutual, um, my question would be, you know, if I was going to go, if I were, and I am actually, I have an account at Chase Bank, uh, but if I go into Chase Bank and say, well, wait a minute, I'm not, you know, I'm kind of concerned as a customer that you, as a bank, are now exposing yourself to, you know, their assets, and and is that a risk for me as somebody who does banking with you and those kind of things? Uh, which is why the whole regulatory approval thing has to happen. So, um, I but yeah, there if if you're going to have to obviously put up or shut up, and and they put up those funds, and uh, that will that oversight will be in place. And I'm guessing the regulatory approval process is is uh, is expedited, and it's not it's not like a merger. It would not be like that type of acquisition. Since there are depositors out there uh, that are exposed and 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 uh, and don't have their money that was in that bank, here's another question people are going to want going to want to get answered, and it's simply this: How come nobody saw this coming in the government? I saw I forgot it was National Review or Wall Street Journal making the point the San Francisco Fed should have seen this. How, yeah, no, how didn't you no, see this? No, you're right. How didn't you see this coming? Because if you had seen it coming, yeah, would a would a bank have been more willing to buy it three months ago, or two months ago, or even one month ago when Jim Cramer was on CNBC? Yeah, <laughs> this is a great stock. Yeah, don't listen to everybody else. Listen to me when I say it's a great stock. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, should he be? Should here, here's a question. Is government censoring a good thing if it tells Jim Cramer to shut up about stocks he believes you should buy? Yeah, right. Yeah. Uh, you know, here's the thing. I know you bring up the point, and in, in, in I, I think it really goes to the foundation of what we've been saying. And that is, it was, it was known, everybody's been watching Silicon, Silicon Valley for a while. There was a an article, I don't remember if it was Wall Street Journal. Uh, I have to go back. But uh, it was a month or so ago talking about the mass exodus out of San Francisco from the tech people that basically 
created Silicon Valley, right? Mm-hmm. They were the that they were the ones who, well, at least up until recently, populated Silicon Valley, and then they had kind of and we, you and I were. It was relevant because you and I were talking about a story where people were moving from New York and they were moving from other major cities and San Francisco. They were moving out and and uh, some of it has to do with the the rise in crime in these cities. Some of it has to do with the cost of living and everything else. But nonetheless, Silicon Valley also was facing its own little, I don't know if you want to call it a recession, but but fall downturn in that tech companies um, weren't getting uh, that uh, the venture capitalism or venture capitalists uh, that were that were funding their companies and startups and 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 their operations. And as such, those companies that had their deposits in Silicon Valley Bank were using the money in the bank. So there was a drawdown in those deposits. Well, the bank had invested in other things that didn't go as well and couldn't cover it. There was a great risk. They had too much exposure in in certain areas. I don't know about crypto, but there was some crypto exposure with, with Silicon Valley Bank, and they could not cover all of those withdrawals as those depositors were using more and more of their own money because venture capitalism wasn't working in their favor. I mean, they're... How do you not see that happening? It was going on for over a year. Mm-hmm. And where was the red flag? There should have been. I would think there would be red flags all along the way. Well, you would, you would think that, number one, just because uh, in our popular culture, when Jim Cramer, you know, after the Metastock debacle from last year, where he was crying, that somebody yeah. watching it a month ago when he talked about what a great stock the, the bank was to you know to 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 buy mm. that somebody would have come forward and you would have it would have become more popular culture because of him and still silence I mean this caught a lot of people completely like where are the stories on this why didn't anybody know it doesn't happen in one as you said this has been going on for a year it didn't right. happen in one day why didn't anybody see it right you had to have seen the 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 hole in the ship. You saw the iceberg, then you hit the iceberg, then you saw the hole in the ship, and the band played on. 86690 Red Eye. Hi, I'm Jen Loomis, a transport safety expert at JJ Keller, and I'm here to share a tip on compliance, safety, accountability. Compliance, safety, accountability, or CSA, is the FMCSA safety compliance and enforcement program. Its goal is to hold motor carriers and drivers accountable for highway safety and to reduce crashes, injuries, and fatalities on our roads. CSA does this by assessing the safety performance of motor carriers and drivers based on data collected during roadside inspections, crash reports, and FMCSA investigations. Based on the data that is compiled, motor carriers are assigned a score. The carrier is then grouped with other carriers who have had a similar number of safety events. Carrier scores within the group are then ranked to determine intervention priority. Low scores are better, so carriers with the highest scores are those that are most likely to be targeted for intervention by the FMCSA. Interventions range in severity and may include warning letters, roadside, off-site, or on-site inspections, civil penalties, or operation out-of-service orders. 
This tip was brought to you by J.J. Keller and Associates. Visit us at jjkeller.com. Coming up, more with Gary McNamara and Eric Harley. It's Red Eye Radio. It's Red Eye Radio. He's Eric Carlin. I'm Gary McNamara, 86690 Red Eye. So, you you know, for example, I read the Wall Street Journal, and the Wall Street Journal said, well, I mean, this is this is what happens when, you know, the government manipulates the interest rate for such a long time, mm-hmm. where banks look for other investments, and that's what SVP did. I mean, they had way more deposits and money that they could lend. They didn't want to put it in, the, in, in, uh, in you, know, secure, you know, treasury securities or bills because – wasn't paying anything, so they looked for long-term assets. And then when you had venture capitalists start slowly pulling out their money, as, you know, as long as a year ago, they had to start selling you know, their, their assets before maturity. Therefore, they took huge losses on it. Mm-hmm. Why didn't somebody see this six months ago? And that's why the San Francisco Fed, some are blaming and saying, how didn't they see this? How don't you see something like this? coming when you know wall street journal makes it sound like well this is what happens when you lower interest rates artificially for this length of time duh well if it's a duh why is kramer on there last month going great stock (laughs) well and that's it and and also i would say uh but if you if you were looking at it you had to have known that those low interest rates weren't going to be around forever that at some point that was going to turn around I mean, it's, look, hindsight, you know, it's always perfect. But there are red flags along the way, big ones. Signature banks' exposure to crypto. 27% of their deposits in early last year were crypto companies. Well, all right, so you're approaching, uh, you're, you're over... A quarter of their deposits. That's a chunk. Yeah. And the crypto market crashes. You know, these, these ideas of, you know, well, we're, uh, we, we formed these, this bank to, uh, provide an alternative to the big banks. You mean the solvent banks? An alternative to solvent banks? <laughs> is that, is that what you want? Remember? Well, uh, Occupy Wall Street. We're not doing any business with the big banks. We're only going to do business with local banks. Wells Fargo is our bank. Uh, because we couldn't, we were taking our time because we couldn't find it. Uh huh. Whatever. I remember that. It's, they went to Wells Fargo. It's like, this. and I don't have a problem with Wells Fargo. I'm just no, saying that no. they, you know, it's, it, but those are the things you look at. Um, if you're going to, you know, if you're a business or an individual, we all shop for a bank, you know, which one is going to serve our needs. But we also want to know that that bank's going to be there for a while. There are no guarantees in life, but you can measure risk.
so good, you know you want to listen again with our podcast. Uh-huh. Available on our app and at redeyeradioshow.com. That's right. Listen and twice. He is Eric Carley, and I'm, don't interrupt me as I'm interrupting. Okay. Um, uh, all right. I won't ever do that. Uh, Eric Geary here. I, I promise. Hi. I, welcome. But, but, but. I, know, and well, I understand. It's economics, and it yeah. gets you going. Yeah. When we talk banking and stuff. Let's talk COVID for a moment here, because all right. this was actually headlined on Twitter. Some, I think it was uh, Mary Catherine uh, Ham who put it. Mm. Boy, the knots you have to tie yourself into. And it was uh, Fauci on CNN. And uh, how Fauci says the lab leak could still be considered coming from natural origins. And this and this started last week. Well, you know, it could still come even before Fauci said it. Mm. Start hearing the media. Well, yeah. it could come. Yeah. It, you know, if, if, if it evolved naturally and they got it into the lab and then it escaped from the lab, technically it's it's like, stop it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we know that, but here's Fauci on uh, on CNN yesterday. Here and on this theory of a lab leak, uh, I, I, you know, I've been wondering this. Do we have any idea how that would even work? Um, have you heard any accounts as to how that might have happened? Is there yeah. speculation well, there, in, in the yeah, scientific there, community as to how that happened? Yeah, there, there, there's a good. That, that's a very good question, Jim. So one of the things that people maybe don't fully appreciate that all of the intelligence agencies agree unanimously that this was not engineered. Namely, they didn't deliberately do this to make a bioweapon. Everybody agrees with that. No matter what your prior thoughts were, everybody agrees with that. All right. Want to stop it there. Nobody is saying that. Right. Right. Nobody is saying that and nobody has said that. And even when Tom Cotton was asked at the end of February of 2020, over three years ago, he said, well, no, I'm not saying it's that. I'm saying right. that it escaped from the, the, the lab. Yeah. I didn't say it was intentional. So they're going back. You notice how they're and, – and they're doing this every time. Well, it's not – when was the last time you and I ever even talked about – I can't even remember the last time, well, a couple minutes ago, uh, that we talked <laughs> about it being a bioweapon. Right. Or a possibility of that. Right. But I just – I wanted to stop him there because it's like nobody's arguing that. Right. And when you're attempting to stall and delay, that's what you do. You bring yeah, up right. something that nobody is bringing up mm-hmm. uh, in order to hopefully bolster whatever's coming up next. But right. here we go. Right. A lab leak could be that someone was out in the wild, maybe looking for different types of viruses and bats, got infected, went into a lab and was being studied in the lab, and then it came out of the lab. But if that's the definition of a lab leak, Jim, then that still is a natural occurrence. (laughs) The other possibility is someone takes a virus from the environment that doesn't actually spread very well in humans and manipulates it a bit, and accidentally it escapes or accidentally infects someone, and then you get an outbreak. Well, that's what they're talking about is number two. I, there, there, there's so there, there's so much in what we just heard. Well, even if it's a leak, it's still a natural occurrence. You know, someone accidentally let it out, so naturally it was going to leak. Well, I like this one. The other possibility oh, is someone takes God. a virus from the environment that doesn't actually spread very well in humans, or not at all. <clears throat> no, I said, well, I don't, I don't want to add into it. Let me just read what he mm. says. The other possibility is someone takes a virus from the environment that doesn't actually spread well, very well in humans and manipulates it a bit. 
Yeah, 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 yeah. That's the other. That that's was another, the point. Yeah. A and, bit, you know, just manipulate, just a little bit, just, just, a, just, just a nudge. Are you kidding me? And it accidentally it escapes or accidentally infects someone, and then you get a, a an outbreak. Well, the manipulating it a bit, whatever a bit means, right? And and the other words uh, doesn't actually spread very well in humans. Did it spread at all? Because isn't that the other one? The other possibility is someone takes a virus from the environment that doesn't spread at all in humans, mm. manipulates it so it does spread in humans, it mm. escapes, and accidentally infects someone, and then you get an outbreak. That's number three Yeah, to take out a bit. But I just noticed the you got to pay attention to the language when these people start defending it now or start trying to come up with a defense. Mm. Then he said it's uh, insane that anybody is saying that he should be uh, – he should be uh, uh, arrested. Mm. This here, this was, uh, I'm just going to read you the transcript here from uh, Representative Mike Turner, uh, who was on uh, Meet the Press. Okay. All right. Uh, not, no, this week, excuse me, this week. I said Meet the Press. I don't know why I keep saying Meet the Press. Yeah, this week, uh, ABC this week. Right? Must be because the logos sort of look the same. Mm. <laughs> but Martha Raddatz uh, is talking to uh, Representative Mike Turner. I want to turn to the COVID origins. You said that you believe COVID originated from a Chinese lab leak based on significant evidence. The Department of Energy said it has concluded the same, but with low confidence. Why are you so certain? And then he has to correct her because he never actually said that. He said, well, what I actually said is I think there's significant evidence that lends itself to that. And I still do. That's why you just saw unanimously both the Senate and the House passed legislation demanding the administration declassify the intelligence the intelligence community has with respect to COVID-19. It is incredibly frustrating for members of Congress to watch Dr. Fauci go on television and say things that are absolutely not supported by the intelligence. We're seeing the intelligence. It's not like we voted to say, show us the intelligence, we've seen it. We voted to say, show the American people. Mm. They're not getting a straight answer from Dr. Fauci or from this administration. They need to be able to see for themselves uh, that they, what has occurred. And I understand that Dr. Fauci has a reason to say that there was not a lab leak because he was actively working to fund the lab in Wuhan. So you you see... Uh, you see a gentleman who is who is biased. I think the public needs to see this straight. Hmm. And then Raddatz said, I think Dr. Fauci would dispute that. Well, I think the evidence totally shows it. They're there that there is funds over which he has control that ended up at the Wuhan lab. At this time, you've got a guy who's going on national television I believe, and I think members of Congress believe, saying things that are not reflected in the intelligence. So our view is, show the American public the intelligence, and then you, Martha, you can have the intelligence in front of you, and the next time Dr. Fauci's on, you can say, hey, but the intelligence actually says X, and you can challenge him. Hmm. The interesting thing is, every single member of Congress voted to declassify it. This is after you and I cannot yeah. still find any major Democrat in the Democratic Party over the last few years that has screamed 
that the executive branch, the president, must force China to come clear on this. Maybe it's happened in the last couple of days, but this is how bad it's gotten since just a couple of weeks ago where now every a Democrat cannot vote against going, finding out the origins of COVID. I mean, that's a 180. That, that is, I mean, that that's is, from nothing, yep. from zero from, to all in. Everyone in. I, I thought that cannot be understated after they've been so quiet and yeah, really that's a great no, point. no curiosity from Democrats as to what the origin is and... You know, why the government censored one theory, and now everybody's demanding that the executive branch come clean. On Friday, Corrine Jean-Pierre would not commit to the president not vetoing this. Right. Now, here's what I'm thinking. The president vetoes it, and then Democrats join him and say, well, the president says there's things that we can't know in there, so we're going to go with the president so they can be on record mm. as voting for it mm. before they voted against it. Man, that's going to be a hard sell. <laughs> because ultimately what you're saying is, sorry, we're never going to learn it because, sorry, parts of it are classified. Sorry. Well, remember, we are talking about the Democratic Party that tried to paint Matt Taibbi and Mike Schellenberger as stooges of Trump mm. and of Elon Musk. Mm-hmm. Sure. So you never know what they might do. I mean, it, I well, would, I, let's put it this way. I wouldn't be surprised if that happened. Yeah, I guess I, I wouldn't be surprised. But ultimately, the American people clearly want to know where it came from. Yes. It does not get to unanimous without that kind of political push from constituents, from the rank and file. Rand Paul even voted with the majority. He voted yes for the first time in 12 years. (laughs) On anything. (laughs) I mean, now it happens to favor his position on it. Yeah. (laughs) But he still voted yes. (laughs) You could frame it. Uh, But that's that's where we are as a nation. It it is. And and you're not going to that sentiment. It's not going to change. But when Fauci said a bit. Hmm. It doesn't. Uh, yeah. it, it doesn't actually spread very well in humans. And then it just gets out to one person. But isn't that interesting? The way he phrased that. Yeah. No. It was. Does, it's annoying because he didn't say that when he was testifying from the aforementioned or in front of and responding to the aforementioned Senator Rand. Paul. No. No. The other possibility is someone takes a virus from the environment that doesn't actually spread very well in humans. So you're saying yeah, it yeah. does spread? Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, they, and then they just manipulate it a bit or a tad. So so what, he, what he's saying there, hold on a second. <laughs> what he's saying there is the manipulation was responsible because what do we know about how contagious COVID was? By the time it hit the population. He's admitting the manipulation 
was all about making it more contagious. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That is an right. all-out well, admission. No, while, but while still trying to downplay it. Yes. Because well, it was just a bit. Just a bit. Just one little thing. Right. One little thing that made it highly contagious with humans. Yeah. Yeah. Because being contagious is the entire... That's the whole ball game of any virus. Yep. It's, well, it, it, was, it, it wasn't that contagious. You just manipulate it just a little bit, and then it just leaks out. It's still that's still a natural occurrence. If it, you're hanging out with Jim Cramer too often, dude. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. But yeah, I thought that was I thought that was fascinating. So, and uh, we'll see because uh, we we played um, the uh, uh, the representative. Uh, Turner, mm-hmm. and we'll hold him to it. We'll see. Yeah. We'll see. Yep. We'll see if it actually does dispute what Fauci is saying. Right. Because what is the intelligence? Let us know. Yep. Eight six six ninety red eye. Lines open for your calls. Eight six six ninety red eye on Red Eye Radio. It's Red Eye Radio. He's Eric Carney, and I'm Gary McNamara, 866-90-RED-EYE. We didn't even get into the uh, the story that came out yesterday that uh, the president uh, indefinitely blocks millions of acres of land and water from future oil drilling. Mm. That's as of today that they expect him to announce an opening of a huge part of Alaska for drilling. Yeah. And it's, you know, doing this this way He's trying to ride that tightrope yeah. where he can say both. Right. We've closed it down, and then no one will ask me a question, but you opened up here on the left. Yeah. And then on the right, yeah. well, no, we shut that down, but we opened it up here. Yeah. And it, but it does go directly against his promises that the left remembers that not one more drop from drilling. Right. And so this... You want you want the evidence is coming that he's running again. Oh, he's running because that's that's why he's trying to ride the tightrope on everything. And he's the guy. Walk the everybody, tightrope. everybody in his party. No, he's the guy. No, 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 he's the guy. No primary challenger. He's the guy. Okay. All right. It's amazing. It really is. Well, no, I, th- I think I, I think I I think they're looking at it, and and you know who knows what will happen, but I think they're looking at it going. Okay, um, and and then maybe DeSantis runs, and if DeSantis runs, uh, he wins. Or Trump runs and he beats him, or whatever. They're looking at it going, and then we just come back in, uh, in 28. I think other Democrats are just looking at this going, look, we can't leapfrog over him. We can't, you know, get him to step down. We're not going to do that. We're not going to do a primary challenge. It would be horrible. Horrible for the party. Just let him lose naturally. Organically. Yes. <laughs> the way things should be. Let him lose organically. organically. Like that. Just let him let him lose and then retire. Yeah.
is Red Eye Radio on Westwood One. The Bigger Pockets portfolio of podcasts are worthy of your investment. We're having a real conversation as real real estate investors. New episodes available every day. It's important to buy where it makes money and not necessarily where you want to travel to. Bigger Pockets on the market. Rookie real estate or money podcast. The purpose of flipping is to create more cash so then you can reinvest into other types of properties. The Bigger Pockets podcast on YouTube or wherever you listen. John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round. Together, it's those weekend golf guys. They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Titleist and Callaway and on and on and on. Right? How many yards do you think you're going to pick up with that extra? I think I can get an extra 5 to 10. What if I give you 15 to 20? <laughs> you pay me more. Jeff Smith right? teaches on the sliding scale. <laughs> those weekend golf guys, the podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen.